VOCM presents Open Line. The opinions expressed on this show are not necessarily those of the station. And now your host, Patty Daly. Well, all right, and good morning to you. Thank you so much for tuning into the program. It's Friday, July the 29th. This is Open Line. I'm your host, Patty Daly, and David Williams. He's producing this come on with an edition of Open Line on this RDF all Friday here in Metro. So if you're in and around town, the number to dial to get in the queue and on the air is 273-5211 or elsewhere, toll-free, long-distance 1-888-590-VOCM which is 8626. I did mention a little bit gray and overcast and a little drizzly and cool out there today. I'm probably in the minority, but it's sort of a nice reprieve a little bit. But anyway, it's been the weather's been fabulous, and we can take that on for any angle if you're so inclined. Let's start with a great story this morning. So I know school's not in. But interestingly enough, I guess coincidentally, now I'm going to talk about this particular story from 2012, is you know, we know about the issue with bullying, and unfortunately that's become a catch-all inside the school system in particular, when in fact some things are taunting and teasing and bullying, and some things are actually events of criminal violence. And we need to do more to curb it, and it's not just pink shirt day. And it doesn't just happen in school. It's something that we need to be mindful of. An unfortunate family has been in contact with me about the fact that their child is unwilling to go back to their minor sport that they've been enrolled in. I'll leave the sport out of it because it's not about this particular sport. It's about the way the kid is treated. Apparently a little bit awkward and tall and gangly for his age, and consequently he's on the receiving end of a lot of unfortunate harassment. So we've long talked about, you know, it's not just awareness campaigns and trying to be nice and encourage appropriate behavior, amongst, especially amongst youth, and it happens all the way through your ages in the workplace and otherwise. But in 2012, you know, I've talked about the fact that there's more good people in school than there are the bad ones, the bullies. And they're cowards by and large, and they need the support of some of their other cowardly buddies to thump their chests and to belittle and to harass and to abuse those who have become their victims. And you need some of the real leaders to step up and do exactly that, to lead. And that can happen at any age. It was today in 2012 that a 17-year-old quarterback called, um, pardon me, Kevin Kerwick. He was the captain of the football team. And in small-town United States, this is Osseo, Minnesota, in small-town USA, the big athletes, the high school football captain, carries a lot of weight. So young Kerwick saw a bunch of people in his school being bullied for a variety of reasons. And so what did he do? He set up a Twitter account called Osseo Nice Things and praised various students to try to curb some of the bullying that they were on the receiving end of. So he wanted bullying to be no spectator sport for his small town in Minnesota. So he'd tweet out things like, you know, she's such a great dancer, she's getting scholarships to this university or otherwise. And this is a young lady who was getting, I guess, bullied by others in the school. So he kept it going and kept it going. And then consequently, the bullying came to a ceased halt, stopped. Why? Because the high school football captain was a leader amongst these age group at 17 years of age. So it caught wind uh, across other communities close by, that Osseo, Minnesota, and they took it on as well. And now all of a sudden, the bullies knew, hey, I'm no match for the high school football captain and all the people in his corner and or a female student leader. So these little things, I mean, if you can recognize in your own family, your social circle of friends, someone who's got that sort of leadership clout, 
and people look up to him or her, that's where the solution lies. We can wear pink shirts all we like. We can put up posters and have campaigns, and they're helpful and required, but it takes that little extra step, and we all know those young people are amongst us. That could be the leaders of change. I thought that was a great story. Every year, I guess, around this time, I read this one. So that was back in 2012. Kevin Kerwick, what a kid. What a kid. All right. A couple of other interesting notes today in history. It used to be a big deal when you looked around baseball and the switch hitter. Dangerous, right? You know, it really takes some of the uh, manager's input out of play. You know, left-hander, right-hander on the mound. The switch hitter used to be a big deal. It was the day in history, 2003. Bill Mueller, who played for the Boston Red Sox at the time, became the first player in Major League Baseball to grand slams from both sides of the plate in a single game. The Sox beat Texas, the Rangers that day, uh, 14-7. That's back in 2003. And how time has flown. 41 years ago today, in 1981, thousands upon thousands of people lined the streets of London to catch a glimpse of the newly married Prince Charles and Lady Diana Spencer. Some 700 million people watched worldwide. There were wedding at St. Paul's Cathedral, and then, of course, the parade, the celebrations that took place in London. And we're all painfully familiar with the outcome for uh, Diana Spencer, but it was 41 years ago today that they were wed. Also, you know, I kind of miss what it's like to just simply read for fun. I spend a lot of time reading news, newspapers, journals, periodicals, and what have you. But on holidays, I absolutely read a book. (laughs) And it was such a weird experience because I hadn't done it in such a long time, even though I spend the bulk of my day reading. But also, I do enjoy a bit of TV, some good TV, maybe a flick every now and then. But yes, please, to a documentary. I don't know if you watch Dave. Do you like the docs? You probably do. Yeah, Dave Williams likes the docs, a podcast of notes of interest. It's... I don't do celebrity birthdays very often. Today's the 69th birthday of one of the world's greatest documentarians, Ken Burns. I don't know if you're familiar with Ken Burns' work, but it's truly remarkable. The comprehensive deep dive into some cultural topics has been done by Burns. He's won seven seven Emmys for his work. So started off with the Civil War back in 1990. That's the name of the series, or the doc, pardon me. Then baseball, which is brilliant, in 1994. Even if you're not a baseball fan, you'll be intrigued and drawn into that particular doc. Then jazz in 2001, the war, 2007. The national parks called America's Best Idea, 2009. Prohibition, 2011. That was brilliant as well. The Dust Bowl, 2012. The Roosevelt's Vietnam War, country music. So if you're ever hungry for a little document, uh, a document, documentary uh, like Ken Burns, Google it up. Some of it's on some of your streaming services, but it's Ken Burns. Birthday today. Happy birthday, Ken. Great stuff. All right. Uh, Telly 10, rescheduled for October the 8th during Thanksgiving weekend. For those of you who can't compete on the rescheduled date, there's some more info coming on refunds, new registration. That's coming out soon. But you're told to keep your bib and your chip to participate on that day. There you go. All right. So I just mentioned, you know, read a book. Wow. Wow. Pat myself on the back for reading a book. And, you know, tis the season for beach reads. You know, the recommendation of what to be reading. You know what I'd like to read now? The Rothschild Report. Dave's shaking his head. So, uh, you know, it's unfortunate, I guess, because the news cycle is just such rapid fire. Things come and go. They're hot button, and then they're gone. They're front burner, then they're dead. And the Rothschild Report at the time when we were learning about it and the fact that we had commissioned the Rothschilds for $5 million to deliver a report how what to do with some of the government assets. And I think it's an important body of work. If we were putting so much stock in the Green Report and the Premier's economic recovery team, 
Absolutely, this report holds a lot of weight, I would imagine, inside the government, inside the cabinet. We haven't seen a bloody word from it. You know, the comment was that there's commercial sensitivities that need to be protected. Sure. Nobody wants to jeopardize any of the process. If we're going to do anything, whether it be privatize or sell, we've got to max out the value. So we don't need to show all our cards. But Minister Cody went on to say that even portions of the report that are not commercially sensitive will also be shielded from our glare as the curious public. I'd like to see it. I'd like to see some information from it. And we all know full well there are portions of it that can absolutely be released and not jeopardize the process. For instance, if in line with some of the Green Report commentary is that the province should consider X, Y, and Z, selling off its oil and gas assets, privatization or selling off pieces or the entirety of the NLC, Department of Motor Vehicle, Bull Arm, up and down the line. We have no idea what the report said. So we do indeed know what the Green Report said. It was released in full. Moya Green took questions, including on this program. So again, not to jeopardize any move the government may be considering or eventually take, but it'd be nice to know even what the recommendations looked like, felt like, and smelt like. Put it this way. If they're going to do anything regarding the NLC, for instance, and that's a controversial one because people look at the economic upside of the government owning and operating the liquor corp. Because, you know, record-setting annual transfers of dollars from the NLC to the provincial coffers, that's real. Now, we have never included what it costs to operate the NLC, the remuneration and benefits and workers' comp and real estate and everything else that's involved with the distribution, the partnership with the LCBO, the largest uh, liquor corp in the country in Ontario. So we have no idea. But I'd really like to have a bit of a look at it. If the province was ever going to do anything regarding, say, the NLC, we'll keep that because that's the most controversial one. Eventually, if that happens, we'll know. It can't be done in quiet. Well, it should never be done in quiet or in the shadows because they're going to go to the market. They're going to float it out there. They're going to have an RFP. So pretending that we can't know whether we're deemed to be too stunned and or to jeopardize the maximizing of the value of any of these assets, eventually they're going to go to the market. And then we'll know, well, I guess the Rothschild suggests we probably do that. So even though it's assets, it'd be nice to know what the government actually thinks they're worth and what they're considering doing or not doing. Anyway, you want to talk about a beach read being the Rothschild report? Yeah, I'm a glutton for punishment. All right, let's keep going. So the PCs, the official opposition, rightfully so, asking questions about the amount of money left on the table, the federal money left on the table in the Canada plan, the infrastructure plan. It had five key areas for infrastructure improvement. Money's coming from the federal government, $180 billion. Two-thirds of our share has been left on the table. The five key areas of focus for that money is rural and northern communities, COVID-19, public transit, and green infrastructure. Ontario has gobbled up 94% of the money that they're due, their share of the $180 billion. Us, no, two-thirds left on the table. How and why can that be? Nothing quite like a bit of free money. Now, I know it's not free. It's our money. It's just transfers of dollars, provincially, federally, and vice versa. But if we have a couple of hundred communities, I don't know exactly what the number is today, a couple hundred-ish communities that are on board orders. You've seen the pictures far and wide on Facebook or what have you. You turn on the tap, and out comes the brown sludge. So inside of green infrastructure and northern and rural communities and their infrastructure needs, water potable drinking water. 
how are we not availing of that money? Add to it what has been left by the wayside, although it comes with a huge price tag, and we're already non-compliant with some of these issues regarding wastewater treatment. How are we not using federal dollars to address needs that the municipalities who will be left on the hook for this have absolutely no chance to foot the bill? None. Some of the bigger regions are like partnerships between Mount Pearl and Paradise, CBS and St. John's, the Riverhead Wastewater Treatment Facility with some monies from the federal government. Some of these things have happened. But some smaller communities with huge price tags associated with their wastewater treatment, that money's there. And it'd be great to know exactly why we haven't done what's required to get the other two-thirds of what is our share on the table and to be spent here in the province. I think that's a big one. You want to take it on? We can do it. All right. And even inside the Fed world, some of these things kind of get left by the wayside. You know, we talk about wind opportunities and nation-building exercises like Muskrat Falls, which the federal government, based on the three federal loan guarantees, they see it as nation-building. Where does all this stuff and the wind and the hydrogen and the Atlantic Loop and Gull and the Upper Churchill, where does it all fit in here? And what's the federal government actually thinking and doing anymore? They say they're behind the concept of the Atlantic Loop. At this moment in time, you'll have to forgive me, federal liberals, but it's a branding exercise. We don't know any more about it, so I'll leave it at that uh, for this moment. And then you throw into the Canada Infrastructure Bank, still looking at, based on liberal advice and agenda adaptation, to have a closer look at the fixed link. What do you think? Let's go. How are we doing on the phone there, Dave? Let's get going. A bit stuffed up here this morning. Feeling good, but stuffed up. All right, so the tourism season seems to be off to a roaring start. Well, I guess we're kind of in the middle-ish of it. You know, we all are aware of the fact that there's so many stretches of road in this province that are absolutely beat. Some of the tourists that have contacted us, I think they're probably expats that have brought their families home for a trip around Newfoundland and Labrador. Fantastic. Welcome back. They're connecting with us, talking to Dave, sending me emails, sending me pictures of the dilapidated condition of some of the roads that they're encountering. It's just unbelievable. Then the rental car issue continues to be a problem for some. No cabs at the airport. So, you know, when we're getting involved in the come home year stuff, it's just so important. You know, it's fine to put money in the municipality's hands for some of their celebrations, the hire musicians and those types of things. But, and I know that the industry, the hospitality tourism industry, really needed a leg up. I mean, it was potentially going to be devastated and decimated. So it's important that it sees a resurgence this summer. But some of the things that will be the takeaway from the visitors, eh, it's not great. Add to it, and I know there's nothing anybody can do about this necessarily, but I also had tourists send us notes and pictures saying they're so dismayed to see dead birds. I think I heard from Mike Gatherall and the fact that, you know, the Puff Patrol is on hold. There's a work, uh, someone that works here in this office, a friend of mine, who talks about the Kittiwakes dead on the beach where she lives. So it's just sort of a strange set of circumstances. But anyway, let's go. And on the travel business, when I was away, I saw on the BBC some commentary and some condemnation of what they're calling the worst airport in the world, Toronto Pearson. That was a 57% of flights have, were delayed uh, between June 15th and July 15th or something. Montreal's Pierre Elliott Trudeau, who was second worst in the country, has been featured in the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times, and yes, on the BBC. You know, that kind of stuff is a PR nightmare. 
Can you imagine if we see hundreds or thousands of potential visitors to the country not do it because they see those stories, like Toronto Pearson? That's what happens, though. You know full well. And it's not just Pearson. Where we were, I mean, he throws a nightmare, too. But anywho, let's go. What is this story about with the budgeted money for a new high school in Portugal Cove, St. Phillips? So generally speaking, the, the, uh, the school district will look around at student enrollment numbers and the catchment areas and determine where the needs are for whether it be renovations or new schools to be built. So the school district said, yeah, we absolutely need to have uh, three areas of concern. Where is it? I got it here somewhere. There we go. Three areas of concern. One was a new school in Cartwright and da, 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 da. I can't even see it. Blind here today. But now all of a sudden, there was a fourth school mentioned in the budget, a high school for Portugal Cove St. Phillips. There's apparently some 317 high school students being bused from that community into town to go to high school. Now the comment is, well, that's where the premier lives. But I mean, I think even if you ask David Brazel and others, for years that community has been clamoring for a high school, but the school district and Tony Stack completely confused, looking for information from the government as to why. We didn't even think that there was a need in Portugal Cove St. Phillips. They had identified three different places, but all of a sudden there was one appeared, what they think, out of nowhere. If Tony Stack is looking for info, that is a bit of a red flag. Okay, here it was. They were looked at the recommendation for new school in Cartwright and here in Kenmount Terrace across the road from our studio and a redevelopment to Dorset Collegiate in Peely's Island. But all of a sudden, high school going down in the cove. Now, I'm sure the community is thrilled, but it would be nice to know what's going on there. All right, last couple of quick ones. I'm almost loath to do this. Two public health briefings yesterday, and yeah, the anticipated totally quote-unquote normal reaction from some. So the COVID vaccine for children six months of age to five years will be available starting on Monday. Parents will make their own decisions. There's also the update from Dr. Roseanne Sevier about the first probable case of monkeypox. And of course, the completely normal reaction from some. You know, just quickly on that front. Regardless of what you think about all of these issues of public health and vaccines and masks and mandates and social distancing, look, whatever you think about that stuff, even if in just your quiet moments while you're considering your next novel tweet to be regurgitated for the 500th time on the viruses, just think back as to what HIV and the stigmatization of the LGBTQ community, what that looked like. And it's not just that societal problem that people still want to stigmatize certain groups of society. It had a detrimental impact on control of the spread. So regardless of what you think about the primary uh, opportunities for the monkeypox to be transmitted, if we just want to be homophobic about it, that's bad enough. But we just need to learn the historical lesson about what it meant for spread. Doesn't matter what you think about Klaus Schwab or Pierre or pardon me, Justin Trudeau or Tony Fauci or whatever it is, the boogaboo that you're hung up on. It has really hurt us when we've gone down that path. Just look back in history at HIV. If we're going to think and stand back and say, well, it's a gay disease, I'm telling you right now, if you just do the slightest bit of reading about how we talked about HIV and what it meant for eventual spread. That's a lesson that we should be able to learn from, regardless of your stance on any of these public health matters. Regardless. And nobody need to be afraid today. We have been very cautious on this show to not be in the fear business. I'm not afraid. 
You needn't be afraid. What we all need to be is aware. That's it. So that's just for information purposes only. Oh, yeah. The Lantern Festival coming up in beautiful Victoria Park this Saturday. They still really desperately need some volunteers. So contact the folks at the Lantern Festival. I'll get, I had the contact info. I'll get it for you again. Can you please volunteer, especially in the barbecue tent? The Lantern Festival is a beautiful, stunning visual event coming up in Victoria Park. And the Friends of Victoria Park and the folks at the Lantern Festival, they need you. We're on Twitter. We're a VOCM Openline follow, sir. Our email address is openline at VOCM.com. And let's get a tune on the go. In 1972, creeping into the top 10 for the Hollies. Long, cool woman. Don't go away. Welcome back to the program. Let's go. Line number one, Nancy, you're on the air. Yes, good morning, Patty. Thank you for this opportunity. Uh, first of all, um, I'm from Nova Scotia visiting Virgil. And um, I... I First of all, I'd, I'd like to say thank you and congratulations to uh, the town council for putting on such a wonderful fireworks uh, last evening. Uh, it was really enjoyable, and it lasted for more than anyone expected. But that's not the reason I'm calling. I have a few issues that I, I want to uh, inquire about. On my, I um, left Portobello from the boat on Monday past. Uh, I traveled down the highway and I turned onto the Burgio Road. Now I know that there have been people on your program talking about the Burgio Road. Anyway, in my opinion, uh, that road is the most dangerous piece of highway that I have ever traveled on or known anybody who traveled on it. It's not only dangerous, um, it is tearing up people's vehicles. There is not one kilometer that doesn't have holes, bumps, rocks. It's an obstacle course to get through. And unfortunately, um, the citizens of Burjo have no choice. If they want to get to a doctor's appointment, hospital visits, whatever they ha- whatever is needed, they have to travel on that Burjo road. Yeah, and there's plenty of commercial traffic coming in and out of Route 480 as well. Uh, Nancy, it's notorious. I think it's about a 150-kilometer stretch. That is the Burgio Road, as they call it here locally, Route 480. It has annually appeared on CAA's Worst Roads, Uh, you know, because it's people in different regions of Atlantic Canada vote on these things. But anyone who's ever put a piece of rubber, their tires, on that particular road knows exactly what you're talking about. It's horrendous. Now, someone's going to be sitting in La this morning and say, the road into here is every bit as bad and they're probably not wrong but that particular stretch of road we've known it for years we see the pictures all the time i can only imagine what tourists think when they get here you know this is a beautiful place uh, the people are great the scenery is great the hospitality is number one but some of the things like garbage and the state of the roads is a real massive issue okay you knowing that so if if you know know about it then you've been hearing about it it's okay to talk about it. It's okay to complain about it. It's okay to make the phone calls to the government to get it fixed. Making the calls, complaining about it does not get it done. Why, why can't the citizens of Burjo have a highway they don't have to risk their lives to getting from A to B? Now, there is, along the road, there is effort where they're putting in, uh, filling the holes with, with pavement. But... 
here comes a big transport truck, hits the hole, pavement's gone. Why can't this road be patched and repaved? Why? Why do the citizens, and, and not only that, visitors like myself, tourists, uh, and I mean, uh, this last night started the Sand and Sea Festival. There are a lot of people from not not just Canada, but the United States are here, and everybody is saying the same thing. Is there another way to get here? No, there isn't. Nope. So what's taking so long that this isn't made a priority? Why do we, we have to put up with this? And I'm sorry that other areas in Newfoundland may have the same problem, but I, I'll tell you, this is a huge problem. And it, and it prevents people from venturing out. It prevents them from going to Corner Brook it pre- because they're afraid of driving on the highway. I mean, when we go on this highway, I was made aware before I left, Nancy, be careful to moose on the road. Nancy, you know, be careful that the, the deer on the road. Then you deal with fog. I mean, we all have fog. If you live on the east coast of Nova Scotia, you're going you're gonna to have fog, but that's fine. But then you have to navigate potholes, and, and I mean, they're un- big enough to swallow you. Sure. Why is this falling on deaf ears? I don't know if it does fall on deaf ears because here, like, here would be uh, something emblematic of a government response is that they'll tell you that they've got five-year plans they have engineers that prioritize where to get some attention whether it be resurfacing fully hauled up and repaved some patchwork to be done the paving season is fairly short here in this neck of the woods and something else that gets factored it probably doesn't get factored in enough and this is not me defending anybody because i hate when i see these roads too it, it just makes my blood boil there's uh, what, 20,000 kilometers of roads on the island? Something like that? So when we know that we're not getting value for money, the roads don't last as long here as they do elsewhere, I'm sick of people telling me it's all about the freeze and thaw patterns because it freezes and thaws across Canada. We're a northern country. So the roads don't last. We spend too much. The paving season's too short, and we got 20,000 kilometers of roads. So by the time we chase our tail and do a bit of road work here, by the time it comes for that road to be attended to again, put back on the priority list, it's already beat to you know what so i'm not defending any of this because i think it's atrocious and it's not just beating up my vehicle i think safety is the place we have to hang our hat because people will be ducking and dodging and bobbing and weaving trying to avoid the craters and hitting them with their vehicle consequently next thing you know you're on the other side of the road you're on the wrong side of the road you're on the shoulder you're putting yourself in jeopardy so it's all those things factored in as to why we've got so many decrepit roads well, at least you agree with me. I don't know if this <laughs> phone call is going to help, but I mean, um, something should be done. And um, I, I just think it's disgraceful that um, in a in a town like Burgio, I mean, obviously, excuse me, obviously the population is dwindling, and the thought has entered my mind that are they are they just patching it, hoping that you know, everybody's going to move out and the older people are going to die off. And I mean, there's, there's got to be a reason. There has to be a reason why this hasn't, this issue hasn't been resolved by now. But anyway, that's one of the issues. The other issue is when I turned on the Burgio Road, 
Uh, no, when I left Port of Basque, my relatives said, call when you leave Port of Basque and call when you get on the Burgill Road. So when I left Port of Basque, I called. I'm on the road. I'm on my way. It was a beautiful day. Trans-Canada Highway is lovely. There is a, a, a small spot there, and but they were working on it. Um, but the rest of the ride was wonderful. So I make the right-hand turn onto the Burgill Road. I just drove in a little bit to call my relatives to say, I'm on the Burgill Road. Well, no cell service. Yep. And I'm thinking, okay, uh, something must be, you know, something must be happening. And I drove a little further. Patty, I bet I stopped minimum 12 times to see if I had cell service. No cell service. So I was one of the fortunate ones. I did you know, navigate the road, got through. But what if something happened? What if I'd had a flat tire? What if I had an accident? What if I fell in one of those potholes and couldn't get out? Um, no way to communicate with anybody. No way. I, you know, not just me, everyone who travels on the road is at the mercy of time, hoping that somebody's going to drive by, see that you're having a problem, stop and help you. Now, I know if there's any one person from Virgil that comes across someone in distress, the people are going to help because that's who they are. They're going to they're going to be helpful. I don't understand. The majority of people in Virgil have a cell phone. I don't understand why a cell tower can't be put up somewhere they can. They can get everything else up there if they want to. They can. Why can't the cell who, tower be put up? Who should put the tower up, Nancy? Who would put the tower up? Yeah, just curious where where you think that responsibility lies. I think the responsibility lies in in the uh, communications. They're they're selling people cell phones. People are paying for cell phone service. That's my opinion. I I don't disagree. I don't disagree whatsoever. Telecom infrastructure, it's another reason why, you know, even if we just look at the Rogers outage and the merge between Rogers and Shaw, which should never happen in the top-heavy industry that it is, the monopoly that it appears to be, it's a problem. For the industry itself, they'll say, they won't tell us out loud, but the rationale must be very clear, is there's no business case for it, right? So that's how they run their business. Their business is not efficiency. Their business is not customer service. Their business is profit. So if they don't don't have the business model for it and the critical mass of users, they are willing to risk losing one customer or another because they know deep down inside of their cold, callous telecom hearts that there's no other company that can pick up the slack. No company's going to go in there and build a tower, so they don't have enough customers to be worried about it. And that's why they don't do it. It's up and down the Buren Peninsula. It's up and down the Burgio Road. There's parts of Labrador where we rely in full on satellite phones. You get to sign one out to travel across the Trans-Labrador Highway, hopefully give it back when you reach your destination. So that's where we are. We don't have the critical mass of customers for them to be worried about it. The province and the federal government have committed tons of money and tried to partner up with these companies for the provision of broadband internet, high-speed internet, and yes, better cell phone coverage, but we hold a very teeny tiny hammer because we don't have the customer base for them to be that worried about it. That's basically what goes on there. Yeah, well, that's that's unfortunate. It is. I tell you, if I lived here, and couldn't get cell service, I don't think I would have a cell phone. I'd rely on my home phone because once you go out of the area, you can't use your cell phone anyway. 
Yeah, until anyway. you get to the TCH or you get to town. or the, I, I know where you're coming from, Nancy. Listen, and when you get back to Nova Scotia, don't hesitate to call and give us the, another dose of the gears, whatever, whenever you have time. Okay, do I have time for one more thing? Very quickly. Okay. Can you tell me, in the province of Newfoundland, is the government giving out um, the uh, COVID test kits? No. Newfoundland government does not, they don't provide uh, COVID test kits, the federal government? The rapid antigen test kits, they were distributed far and wide in congregate living and daycares and in the K-12 school system. Uh, when school was uh, out for the summer, the hope was that they would take whatever our federal, 1.4% uh, of all the federally purchased uh, rapid test kits would be in the hands of whoever needed or wanted one. People scrounge far and wide. There's been some opportunity for some families to have the kits, but they have not been distributed like they have been in other provinces. Go to the coffee shop, go to the library, wherever. Take a kit if you need a kit. So that's the basics here. The short answer is no. There's not wide distribution of free uh, test kits. No. Has anybody asked why not? Yes. And the answer was? Incoherent. Okay. You know, they've stopped the protocols for the PCR test. They made it difficult for individuals to get the rapid test kit because not everybody has the money just to keep going and buying all these kits. So basically what the guidelines have been is if you think you're a close contact and you present with symptoms, consider yourself positive. You know... <laughs> If you don't get that test and the verification, some people may indeed say, well, it's allergy season, I'm fine, I'm going to work, I'm going to the party on Friday night, I haven't tested positive, and I'm not going to pretend that I am positive just because one doctor or another said I should consider myself positive. It's made for a real chink in the armor. You know, people need that verification to say, okay, I am positive. And so consequently, if I'm a reasonable person, I'm going to protect everyone around me from the virus by staying home out of it. You know, isolating, staying home when you're sick. At the best of times, that was always the guideline, wasn't it? If you're not well, stay home, whether it be the common cold or otherwise. But now with a pretty highly transmissible virus, we're not giving people the equipment and the resources they need in their hand free of charge to try to abide by public health recommendations and guidelines it's not there so the question you ask it's been asked repeatedly especially when school was in and like if you had a neighbor who had school-aged children and you had a kitchen drawer blocked with rapid test kits seniors living next door had none and had to go down to pipers and buy them there's a lot of animosity kicking around out there because there was the haves and the have-nots People who got them for free and people who did not. Uh, Nancy, unfortunately, i got to get off to the break, but I'm pleased that you made time for the show this morning. Enjoy the rest of your stay, regardless of some of the issues that you've run into. I appreciate you. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right. Uh, there we go. Uh, let's take a break. Weekdays on VOCM, it's Open Line with your host, Patty Daly. Join the conversation each morning from 9 a.m. to noon on your VOCM. We get people talking. Welcome back. All right. Uh, line number three. Corey, you're on the air. Morning, Patty. How are you doing today? Hanging in there. How are you doing? Good, good, good. So I just want to let you know about uh, um, a situation that occurred uh, this past week at uh, St. Clair's Hospital. Okay. So i uh, just give you a quick rundown of, uh, of uh, the history of our health that uh, me and my family has endured over the last few years. So you'll understand the impact of this uh, story. Um, I got 
uh, I have a neovascular macular degeneration in my eyes, so I'm visually impaired. And my wife, uh, she's had a slew of uh, health concerns, including uh, jaw surgery. She's had two back surgeries. And recently, she's uh, had a, an acoustic neuroma and a metagenoma. And she's also found out she had kidney cancer. Oh, my goodness. What's the, is the acoustic what? Pardon me? It's an acoustic neuroma. It's a, two brain tumors. Oh, my God. I'm so sorry to so hear this. this. All, yeah. So this has all happened to us in the last four, four and a half years. So, so it's a lot, there's a lot of challenges. Now, this is what I'm going to say. There's no in, bad intent on the surgeons or specialists or our family doctor, because I believe that, uh, you know, I know there's cracks in the healthcare system here, but the family doctor we have is the best of the best. Uh, I would put him up with anybody in, uh, in Canada. He's provided fantastic services for us. The surgeons uh, and the staff at the hospital, nothing but top notch. That's not my issue. The issue was is that uh, my wife had to go in for jaw replacement surgery. So she's been waiting over a year for this. And uh, she has two broken plates that, uh, that were installed four years ago in her upper jaw. And those, those broke over the last four years. And first off, those uh, titanium plates were never supposed to break. But they have cracked over time. Now, my wife has fallen several times due to her conditions, her balance is off and whatnot. So, uh, and there is a uh, plate that's almost almost coming into the bottom of her eye. So we can't have two people with the, uh, you know, be visually impaired at her home, obviously, because that's a very challenging situation. So my wife was scheduled for uh, a surgery at the St. Clair's Hospital on Tuesday morning at 9.15. So we're six hours away from, from St. John's. So we go in there Sunday because she has a pre-admission uh, clinic appointment for a pre-surgery on Monday at uh, 8.30. So we go there. She does all her pre-admission stuff, and she's, all that stuff went very very good, thankfully. No issues with anything. So we were told to go to St. Clair's Hospital at uh uh, 9.15, our surgery date is, uh, or at that particular time on Tuesday, this past week. So we had to arrive at the hospital at 7.15. So we arrive at 7.15, and I can't drive. Um, so we get there at the hospital. We're there. So the nurse does her blood work, does her COVID test. Everything was passed perfectly. So they sit my wife down in a wheelchair. And we waited there for 40 minutes. And again, the staff has been, you know, the staff that we've, uh, you know, from the healthcare is nothing but uh, been fantastic. And again, we know there's cracks in the healthcare system. But um, the nurse came and said, you know, the surgeon came first and uh, talked to us, and everything was well. She was just wishing us, you know, good, good results from the surgery. And we appreciated that, no doubt. Then we waited around 30 minutes, and the nurse came, wheeled my wife uh, to the OR. She said, you can come into the elevators, and then, you know, unfortunately, she has to go into the OR right away. So we'll give you a call later on when her surgery is done. So I go on up to the, 
uh, to the cafeteria. Uh, I'm waiting for a ride because, again, I can't drive. And uh, I get a phone call around 12.37, and I said, oh, this is great. My wife's out of surgery. This is where it gets interesting. The nurse on the other end says, you know what, unfortunately, Corey, your wife has not had surgery yet. She's still sitting in the wheelchair. Uh, the reason why is due to humidity at the hospital. So I was taken back, and then an hour later, they, they called back and said, unfortunately, Corey, uh, your wife's surgery has been canceled. Uh, just uh, if you can help me understand what humidity means for surgery cancellation. What's the, what's so the correlation there? Um, apparently, um, for certain surgeries, uh-huh. um, if the humidity is too too much, it can cause a really, uh, in, a really bad infection and could cause a serious health concern if they open up certain surgeries. So my wife sat in the hospital for almost six hours waiting for surgery and nothing, and we get sent home. So we had to spend a night at the hotel on Sunday night, Tuesday night, and then we come back home on Wednesday night. So we had three nights of hotels. We had gas, which is not cheap anymore, to and from, and then we had the heat to make sure that we had food. So you're close to over almost thousand dollars or more uh in expense for a surgery that was not uh performed and again nothing to do with the surgeons but you know if this uh, i mean my wife had to wait for almost a year and a half for this particular surgery so the day comes mentally she's all prepared for it sitting in the uh, sitting in the hospital room waiting for the surgery and to get canceled all because of humidity and air conditioning issues or exchange. I just don't understand how uh, a hospital in Canada in 2022 cannot have the funds available to put the proper air exchange, air conditioning, or even a dehumidifier somehow, some way. It's just very mind-boggling and frustrating. Well, I can only imagine. I mean, you couple it with what you're dealing with as a family, period then these types of additional layers of frustration can just be, I'm sure, maddening and very worrying for you and your wife. Not just the pocketbook, but waiting for these types of procedures has been a big part of the tale here the last few years. I know wait times have always been a concern inside of healthcare, but it's been exacerbated here in the last three years, no doubt. I'm really sorry to hear of all the struggles you and your wife are experiencing with this included delay and the loss of money out of pocket for something out of your control. I don't know much about the medical concern with humidity levels and what sort of equipment, air exchangers or dehumidifiers or mini splits that the hospital does or does not have. I don't know. But it's all heartbreaking to hear what you're going through. I'll give you the final word, Corey, before they send me off to the break here. You go right ahead, sir. Yeah, and I mean, the Health Science Center has, uh, as those, uh, you know, uh, the air conditioners, humidifiers, everything in the place. But I mean, you know, the government of Newfoundland and Labrador mm-hmm. has to find a way to put the resources into that hospital to make it reliable for the people of the province. I mean, people are suffering through a lot of issues, you know, but we find hope in each and every day that, you know, you know, we're going to get a phone call soon. We're going to get this done soon. 
And the struggle is real for a lot of people out there. Of course. And I just wanted to call today just to make sure that people are aware of what's going on. The Newfoundland Labrador government has to find a way to put the funds in those hospitals to retrofit what needs to get done. So when you do get a call for a surgery, that you're not waiting uh, for more time because of a humidity issue. The surgeons, the doctors that we've had have provided nothing but great care for us. And this is no knock to them. It's just the fact that the humidity mm-hmm. at a hospital should never be a cause for someone to have a surgery delayed in this day and age. No argument here. I appreciate your time and the awareness that you're bringing to the airwaves this morning. I wish you and your family well, Corey. Thank you very much. I appreciate, I appreciate your time, Patty. Have a great day. You too. Take good care. Bye-bye. Okay. Perspective sometimes is... Uh, Pretty hefty dose of reality. Uh, let's take a break. When we come back, our good friend of the program, Susan Guyney, is in the queue. We'll hear what Susan and Bill are up to, and I think it's lap or loop number four. That's what we're going to talk about right after this. Don't go away. Welcome back to the program. All right, uh, line number four, Susan Guyney, you're on the air. Hi, Teddy. How are you? Grand this morning. Thanks. How about you? Not too bad. Yeah. Terrific. So this is loop to loop four, day four. <laughs> right. Yeah, so uh, we're going to be walking tomorrow from the Legion in Ferryland to Cape Royal Hall. Um, and then uh, people can meet up anywhere along the way. You don't have to walk the whole walk. Um, we're going to be in the Cape Royal Community Centre from 1 to 3 uh, with a meet and greet and meeting residents new and old. And uh, then we're going to have some entertainment by Dennis Sullivan and Glenn Carey. And this is a free event, and refreshments are provided. Uh, there's going to be a door prize, push-up boot. Um, you can make a donation to the CMHANL. That's the Canadian Mental Health Association of Newfoundland and Labrador. Uh, yes. Very quickly, so I know the context there. Bill knows what's going on. Many of our listeners will be familiar with you and Bill and the work we do. You're talking about your fourth or fifth legs of the loop-the-loop. Just give us the broad strokes about what the loop-the-loop is. Well, Loop Loop is just um, our way of connecting the Irish Loop in all communities along the side. There's places that we didn't get to go to this year, and we're going to be in Ferryland. We start at Le- the Legion because we we only space it out for a 10-kilometer walk, in, and we're going to be missing, like, a lot of our supporters, like Baltimore Pharmacy and Ferryland Foodland, Bernard Kavanaugh. We We're not going to be including them, but they are still our supporters. And then we'll just go on to Cape Royal. And next year, we, we felt bad that we didn't get to do all of the shore. So next year, Bill, I think he's talking about walking the whole loop again. <laughs> no doubt he is. Yeah. So uh, that, that's still up in the air yet. We got to figure it out. Uh, usually he starts making plans right after um, one of the fundraisers, and then he starts for the next year. So. Yeah, it's going to be great. And next week we are in our hometown of Renews with uh, lots of events uh, happening on the in our community, and they're also great supporters. Every look, all of our friends along the Southern Shore and the Loop, and all across Newfoundland, they're great supporters of this. It's it's something that we really taken on and enjoy doing it. 
Well, you're doing we'll, important work. I mean, this for years that you and Bill have been doing these things, yeah. and I can guarantee you the awareness and the funds that you've been able to raise on behalf of the Canadian Mental Health Association of the province has gone a long, long way to making things more open and honest, how we talk about it, and for all the programs and services that you've helped fund. I mean, you're doing yeoman service. We, we can't thank you and Bill enough. I'll give you the last word, Susan. I'm late for the news, as usual. Okay, well, it's not next weekend that we're going to be in, in Renews. It's the following weekend. Okay. August 13th is our last leg. So we we look forward to talking to you, Patty, and keeping you up to date on everything. You have a great day, and thanks for your continuous support. Happy to do it. Take good care. Say hi to Bill for me. Okay. Okay, bye, bye. Susan. Bye-bye. All right, uh, let's take a break for the newscast. Today might be a great day to come out with it. So, if you're in the St. John's metro region, the number to dial right now during the newscast to get in the queue, 273-5211, or elsewhere, toll-free, long distance, 1-888-590-VOCM, that's 8626. Don't go away. Saturday morning, join us for the Irish Newfoundland Show. Send your request to irishnl at vocm.com, or submit them online at vocm.com. Welcome back to the program. Well, during one of the breaks on my scroll through my Twitter feed, I saw something that I thought was really interesting coming from a pharmacist, Cara O'Keefe. I've mentioned Cara on this program many times over the years. She's working over on Bell Island. She's talking about three over-the-counter products she never recommends as a pharmacist. We'll hear what they are when we join Cara on line number one. Good morning, Cara O'Keefe. You're on the air. Good morning, Patty. How's it going? Great today. Thanks. How about you? I'm great, thank you. I was really curious when I read this, and I asked Dave to give you a shout, see if you had time to come on the program. So there's three particulars that you don't recommend. Let's start with Benadryl. For many people who have any allergic reactions, whether it be to mosquito bites or seafood exposure or whatever, Benadryl is one of the go-tos. Why not? Right, so Benadryl is a very well-marketed product, so it sticks in a lot of our minds when we think about allergic reactions because it is it has been well-marketed for a very long period of time. Um, however, it has a lot of side effects that a lot of people don't realize. So Benadryl has a lot of what we call anticholinergic side effects that we can see sometimes with medications. So this can lead to side effects like confusion, sedation, can lead to constipation, dry eyes, dry skin, and there's a lot of drug interactions that we need to watch for. So if you're someone who's taking other medications that can be sedating, say things for your mood, like an antidepressant, or sometimes it can even interact with medications that we take for our heart. So there's a lot of alternatives that can be safer. So there are more or less sedating antihistamines, like something like Reactine, that you only have to take once a day that are safer. So it's a great idea to speak to your pharmacist or your primary care provider about something that could be safer. And these drugs are so sedating so much so that a lot of the over the counter sleep aids that we see like sleepies are actually the same drug so the drug is called uh, diphenhydramine so it's just marketed differently for sleep that's interesting because you know i guess the marketing really does seep into our psyche right might not give it a whole lot of thought you someone who might expose uh experience pardon me allergic reactions benadryl go to because i see it advertised yeah. so widely and effectively obviously so that's an interesting one when you talk about side effects how frequently would you have to be using benadryl for some of these serious side effects to manifest themselves or is this you know one time is too many what do you, what do you recommend on that front because some people might have benadryl in the cupboard 
Right. So that really depends on the person, of course, and what sort of um, other medications they're taking or if they have any sort of other health care conditions that we need to be cautious of. So for a young, otherwise healthy person, taking a dose or two of Benadryl is likely going to be fairly safe. But if you have, say, an elderly person who has dementia or has a risk of falls or some sort of cardiac condition, then even one dose can cause issues and increase their risk for, you know, having a fall, which can also lead to a fracture or something that could lead us to end up in the hospital. So for some patients taking things like Benadryl, we should always avoid them. And for others, then using them from time to time can be okay, but they're still usually generally a safer alternative. I don't really use Benadryl very often in my lifetime, but I think this could be helpful info. But the next one on your list, I use frequently. I have dry eyes a lot, especially in the morning. So it's not unlike unknown for me to take a couple of drops of Visine in the morning. You recommend against it. Why? So Visine is actually a decongestant. So interestingly, it can actually worsen the symptoms that we're usually using it to treat. So generally with dry eye, what we would be looking to use would be like a natural tear or a lubricant. Something like Visine is actually a decongestant. So when the medicine starts to come out of our eye, it can cause that dryness and that redness in our eye to get worse. So you get these rebound side effects that can come with using Visine regularly. So the eye can actually become dependent on using Visine to help with that redness. So if you're someone who suffers from dry eyes, of course, making sure you're well hydrated is very important. Some of the medications that we take can lead to dry eye, including Visine, as it's a medication. And um, using something like a natural tear regularly is important. And if those measures don't work, then we can be referred to an ophthalmologist or an optometrist or even like your family physician or a nurse practitioner to try some other prescription medications. So what's is natural tear like an actual product? Is there something over the counter that I'd be able to recognize that can deal with my dry red eye sometimes? Right. So there's a couple of different options. So Tears Natural is one of them. You can also see some other brands such as Sustain or um, anything like that. So basically just any sort of natural tear. So if you ask your pharmacist, there's a few different options. And like anything, people find different ones work better for them. Okay. Last one. It's called Docusate Sodium, which I think is a laxative. You say no. Yeah, so docusate is what we would consider a, a stool softener, and when we study it, it is essentially useless, unfortunately. So again, it's well marketed, and some people will take it if they're having occasional issues with constipation, but after we've studied it, um, we see that using the medication is essentially no better than using it for than using a placebo. So for people who are suffering from constipation, there are other options. There are stimulant laxatives like Dulcolax or Senna. If someone suffering from constipation chronically, we can look at things like PEG, which is an osmotic laxative that we use when we're drinking a lot of water. So, of course, depending on what type of constipation you're suffering from, there's many different options, but DocuSade is almost never the answer. Okay. I'll let you go pretty quickly here, but there's another part of the thread uh, that you started. It's talking about some of the uh, cough and cold products, because we've seen a real run on the shelves. I don't know. I'm not going to say COVID or anything else, but we do know that there was a massive run on cold and cough products, and we had lots of pictures of pretty bare shelves you say most of them are bogus what should we keep an eye out for on that front Right. So unfortunately, a lot of the cough and cold products that are marketed in Canada, and not just in Canada, like globally, do not have a lot of evidence. So these are things like DM, which is a cough suppressant, or guafenicin, which is something that we refer to as an expectorant to help get phlegm off of our chest. They really don't have a lot of evidence. So most of the time for for viral infections, simply using 
rest as a means of helping with our symptoms is very helpful. Um, sometimes things like Advil or Tylenol can help with aches and pains, but a lot of the things that we use actually for, you know, that cough or that phlegm that we have on our chest, unfortunately, are not really all that effective. Um, they may can even cause harm sometimes, depending on the other types of medications we're using. So if you're somebody who has any sort of health condition or is taking medication, it's always a good idea to check with your pharmacist first before picking up your own cough and cold products. Tell us about neti pots. I mean, there's one commercial that I have to look away. It's the one where they've got the two nostrils and this recirculation of water up and down one nostril or up one and out the other. It looks kind of painful to me, but, you know, how effective can a neti pot, and what's the upside of doing that? Because, you know, for a lot of people, especially this time of year, allergy season and whatnot, a clean nose makes for, you know, removing a lot of congestion. The neti pot, I can't get into it. Yeah, they, they do look a little bit precarious for sure when you're uh, looking at them, but they actually work quite well. So essentially what a neti pot is, it's a means of nasal irrigation. So if you're someone who's suffering from a lot of congestion in your sinuses, whether that be from a cold or a sinus infection or somebody who has allergies, and it's a very effective means of helping release any mucus that's built up in our sinuses. So what it is, is it's essentially saline water. So it helps draw any mucus out of our nose and make it easier for our nose to expel it. So using that is a lot more effective than using like a decongestant medication. Interesting stuff. Uh, anything else you'd yeah. like to offer, tips or what have you, whether it be SPF sunscreen or something that you might think would be of interest to folks who are, are making their way to the drugstore after this show? Yeah, so there, there's, I mean, there's so many different things that I could talk about when it comes to over-the-counter medications, and I think it's great that we do have things that are over-the-counter because it makes medicine accessible to people. However, um, just because something is over-the-counter doesn't necessarily mean that it has a lot of evidence that it works or that it's safe for you. So even if you're just buying something over-the-counter, I always encourage people to check with their pharmacist first because what you're buying may not be that effective. There may be a better alternative, or in some cases, it may even be something that's causing side effects. So it's always a good idea to, to check with your pharmacist because we're a part of your healthcare team to make sure that the medication you're using, prescription, over-the-counter, or otherwise, is safe and appropriate for you. Okay, last one. So sometimes if I'm in the drugstore looking for an over-the-counter or simply looking for a product where I'm not sure where it is, you know, if I go to a foreign drugstore, you know, we all get used to where our certain products are in certain drugstores. You know, you see the pharmacist and they're filling prescriptions and they're doing their job and they're reviewing people's uh, different prescriptions that they're taking, all these important matters and they think, I don't really want to bug the, uh, the pharmacist about what sort of cough syrup to get. So what do you say to folks who just don't really want to bug you because they think they should be able to navigate the, the aisles on their own? Well, it's our job to provide you with health care information. So you're never bugging us. Sometimes you may need to wait a moment. Like we may be on the phone with a prescriber. We may be counseling another patient. But if you have a second, then we don't mind answering those questions. It's a part of our job. I quite like it, in fact, when people come and ask me questions, even though they're not compelled to, because it shows that they're, they're interested in making sure that the medication they're using is appropriate. The other thing that you can do, so in pharmacies, we have pharmacy technicians and assistants who are awesome. They're very great at helping to navigate questions for the pharmacist. So it may be something that they can filter back. It may be a very simple question, and while we may be very busy and might not be able to come out to speak to you for 10 minutes, it may be information that we can relay through either a pharmacy technician or an assistant. So they're parts of the, uh, or they're members of the team that are very helpful as well for answering such questions. Don't let the companies and their marketing agencies on Madison Avenue determine what you're going to take insofar as over counter or the otherwise. Good to have you on the show, Kara. Really appreciate the time. 
Thank you. Take care. You too. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye. That was very helpful. <laughs> that was great stuff. I'm glad we had managed to get some time with Kara. How are we doing out there, David Williams? Let's take a break for this uh, segment. And when we come back, we're looking forward to speaking with you about a topic of your choosing. Don't go away. W- welcome back to the show. Um, interestingly, so someone asked me why I didn't mention this particular story and if I wouldn't mind doing so here on the air just to spread some potential awareness for folks who might need it. Okay, so this happened last Friday night. It's actually a really scary story and happy to try to bring some attention to it. So the RCMP are investigating what they're calling an attempted child abduction that happened last Friday evening in the community of Fredericton. That's up by Carmenville. So there was apparently a young child approached by a man who was driving a white van, well, you know, and eventually the man got out to try to further convince the child to get in. The child, wise beyond its years, took off on the bicycle, hid in the woods until they thought it was safe to come out. So this man has been described as short, obese, long beard, wearing a black hat, driving a plain white van that has windows in the rear door. You know, it's always important to talk about these things, of course, and parents do what they can and what they should to try to give their children, you know, some of this guidance about what to be wary of without making them deathly afraid to even go outside and be able to interact with the general public. But just those things where the alarm bells go off in your belly, you know, that something is potentially wrong. So this allegedly has happened out in Central, and the RCMP are doing their investigation. So just a reminder to your kids, you know, not everyone is even trying to be nice to you and you want to pet my puppy and you you want some candy or whatever it is, some of the ruses that they put forward. So that's actually an investigation that's ongoing. That's for your information. Let's go to line number one. Jerry, you're on the air. Hi, Jerry. Uh, hello, Penny. How are you getting on today? Not too bad, you? Oh, not too bad, boy. Trying to survive because uh, everything is just tangled up for me now. Well, it's just in with a mini boy. Yeah, the the connection's pretty bad here this morning, Jerry. It's all cracking up, but you go ahead, see if it gets better. Yeah, see, uh, no, what I want to speak on, the the, the Pope come over here, right? Uh-huh. O- over to uh, Canada, or we say Canada anyway. So, so many places, or a couple of places, or whatever. Now, what? my opinion on that, I got my opinion on it now. See, he should have stayed where he was too, because nobody over here wants to see him anyway. Because, uh, first of all, what would you pay uh, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars to get a person in here and a testament from the yard for it? Well, a lot of people did want the Pope to come. It was actually one of the recommendations coming from the Truth and Reconciliation Commission was exactly that, that they wanted an in-person apology from the Pope to the victims of the residential schools, which did not include all the apology that people wanted. The Pope apologized for some of the actions of individuals as opposed to apologize for the church's role in full. So you might not want to see the Pope here, but that was a key recommendation. I remember Murray Sinclair talking about it. So that was there was a lot of people who wanted this to happen. Yes, I, I understand what you what you're trying to say. Yes, but what I'm what I'm trying to say is that there's nobody held accountable for for the, the actions of what, what was taken, eh, boy? Uh, the youngsters killed and 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 buried in graves, and and you know something? I'm going to tell you something now. What I do know is that the steel going on today. Yeah, you know, this day and age, the steel going on. And the people should uh, recognize what, what's going on. And uh, the Pope come over here for the for the apologize, but that's no good. Because he never had nobody accountable for, for what happened. 
down the road. Now, I know that I'm right, and the, the, the government know all about it, and there's nothing they, they would do about it. Well, the, gov- the government played a role in residential schools, that's absolutely oh, true. Oh, 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 a big role, biggest kind of a role. Sure. And that's like everything else. Now, like, someone phoned in about the roads. Ah, the roads is, is, is not fit to... There's not fit to the, the, the drive over or anything else. Okay. So I know I'm right about that too. <laughs> because, first of all, I experienced it. What's well, she balls about? Yeah. And uh, anyway, uh, Eddie. Uh, I know you're very busy, but I won't take up your much. That's much no problem. Go ahead, Jerry. Friday, yeah, boy. Yes, boy. But uh, anyway, uh, the government is in on everything because they put stuff forward in the, in, on the news, the CBC news and the other news that they want to hear. Nobody else wants to hear it. Got an example? Because first of all, now, the government don't care. They, they never did care, and they won't care. About what? About the news. The government... The only parts of stuff which they... Because they, they, like yourself now, okay, first of all, they tell you not to speak about this or not to speak about that, and first of all, that's what, 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 what you've got to speak about. Who does that? The government. To who? The government does it to the, the, to the, to the news people. Nonsense. Tell them what to put on and what not to put on. Nonsense. <laughs> That's what you think. Well, well, no, so who do, you, who do you think Jerry would know more about that? You or me? <laughs> All right. See you. We'll talk again some other time. I can't wait. Okay, thank you. Right, bye-bye. <laughs> it's a popular held belief, but some of those comments are just exaggerated to the nth degree. What does anyone can anyone bring up one single topic that we are unwilling to talk about on this program? I can tell you now the short answer is no, you can't, because we'll talk about whatever. In fact, it's also worthwhile remembering that it doesn't just matter what I bring up. You have the floor. You have the telephone. You get the command. If you want to talk about any issue plaguing the government of the day, municipally, provincially, federally, whatever you're into, you can put it on the airwaves. Nobody gets censored out here. Nobody's afraid of anybody bashing one politician, one party or another. It's up to you. So the whole bit about people are told what to say is just simply bloody nonsense. It just is. I mean, can you imagine? I have better things to do in my life than to sit here to be told what I can and cannot say. Let's see. Here on Twitter, people say a lot there. We're at VOCM Open Line. You know what to do. Follow us there. Make your comments. Uh, the good, bad, and the ugly. We can take them on. We're also taking your emails. It's on at VOCM.com. When we come back, you're in the queue. I can feel it in me water. Don't go away. Weekday mornings from 530 to 9. Jumpstart your day with Jerry Lynn Mackey and Ben Murphy. Newsmakers, traffic, weather, and more during your VOCM. OCM Morning Show. Oh, welcome back to the show. Uh, let's go to line number one. Good morning, Louise. You're on the air. Hi. Hi. I'm calling... Uh, what would I say? Okay, about this tangle with the salts and the orphanages and all this stuff, and now they're selling, like, the church to pay it off, and... They're selling some of the assets of the Roman Catholic Episcopal Corporation of St. John's. That's right. Yes. Now, um, it kind of upsets me. Uh, well, it do upset me, not kind of. Mm-hmm. Um, like the 
let's say, the, I don't know how to say this, let's say the churches. Okay, now, my understanding is you go to church all over the years and whatever, and you do a collection, and, you know, you help pay for everybody else in general, people, keep the churches going and whatever. And all those poor, innocent people, children, whatever, got abused, right? That's right. So the, basically the assets are being sold off to compensate the victims of Mount Cashel. That's that's right. Yes, I understand that. Okay. But wasn't this money uh, given from the people themselves? Not More or less what I'm saying is like the people, the community gives the church money. Well, I mean, I think what you're saying, and correct me if I'm wrong, is that the people are the church. The people built the church. The people donated money to upkeep the church, to put the new new roof on it, to keep it well-maintained, and you're 100% right. So folks who had nothing to do with Mount Cashel are the ones paying the price, insofar as potentially losing their church. So I'm trying to say this properly. Okay, you just said that it's the people that had nothing to do with Mount Cashel. But those innocent children and whatever that were abused, wasn't some of them people that were going to the church, wouldn't they be the parents, the grandparents, the great-grandparents, just, you know, the aunts, the uncles? Well, I'm not sure what that point is, but these were orphans living at Mount Cashel. They were either abandoned or orphaned. They were orphans, but their family was still on the outside, probably not all, some going to church. Okay, so what's the point you're making there? So if they so had why some... Why is that family paying back... Why is that family paying? I don't know what that means, unfortunately. Okay, just say now if I had a child, okay, for instance, that I had to put in the orphanage or whatever, right? Okay. And I went to church and paid my dues, whatever. Uh-huh. And now that, just say I'm dead and gone, so the money that I put into the church and the cemeteries or whatever the case will be, uh-huh. they're taking that money and paying my child... Yeah, yes. I, I'm, I'm not sure. Like For me, it doesn't really matter where the money comes. There's been a judicial ruling. Mm. The compensation has to be paid, and it should be paid. But yes. from where I sit, 100%. just hold on, please. The church should be paying it, and I mean the Roman Catholic Church itself. The Vatican, who has played an active role in shuffling around different priests and protecting their own priests and uh, shuffling around some of the Christian brothers that were responsible for some of this behavior and the Jesuits and otherwise, the Vatican should be covering these things. People should not be losing their church because of the compensation it has to be paid, and the victims deserve it, and that's only a fraction of the, what they deserve for the atrocities that they suffered. That's what I'm trying to say. Okay, like, uh, I'm glad I priest. Did the people hire the priest? Didn't hire the priest then? It was the bishop or the pope or someone down the line that hired them priests on them. Well, it wasn't priests, uh, if it were being I, factual about Mount Cashel, but you're no, right. Yeah. The church should, as an entity, be taking care of these things, as opposed to, here I am, I've been a faithful congregant at St. Kevin's, even though St. Kevin's got spared out in the ghouls, you know, or St. Gabriel's Hall down in Marystown, or Mary Queen of Peace here yeah. in town. I've been part of that community. I put my money in the donation box every week or the collection plate yeah. as it circulates. Now, all of a sudden, I might not have a church to call my own because it's being sold, and it has to be done, but I do know, I think, where you're coming from, Louise, is that folks who are just pious, faithful uh, parishioners, all of a sudden, 
they might have to get a new, find a new church to go to because it gets sold out from under them. Now, many of the churches have been spared, will remain as churches, but they're downsizing even in town. There's going to be fewer Roman Catholic churches than there were a couple of years ago, just because of the obvious, the sell-off. Now, some have been maintained and and have uh, been able to stave off the auctioneer's block, but some will not. Some will not last. Yes, but my point is, like I just said, like the people are in the grave or rolling over. Like, uh, like I just said, like the ones that paid the money to the church right. that they sold is it got to be like those ch- innocent children that were in the orphanage and everywhere else in the homes or whatever they were given or they were taken or whatever. They were abused. Horrifically. They were abused. Yeah. And they got a mother and a father somewhere. They may be dead now, but they did have a mother and a father. Yeah, but what does that have to do with father. anything, though? What does that have to do with anything? Their mother and father probably paid the church. Maybe. And now they're taking the money from the church that their parents paid try to pay, help pay the poor youngsters back and where's the bishop and the pope and the yeah. head up they're pretty quiet on all of this no they're pretty quiet on all of this uh yeah it, it's that's not right they should be paying they should be like what i'm saying if i went okay. to some i think we get your point okay i think i got what about the graveyards are they being sold to no cemeteries have been spared oh they have yeah and rightfully so. I mean, there's just no way that would have been acceptable to anybody. And thankfully, in negotiations with the lawyers representing the victims, they spared the cemeteries. And that's, that's the right decision to make. Um, Louise, I appreciate the time. Would anything else very quickly before I say goodbye? No, I just wonder why nobody, like, they talk to themselves and they talk about it, but nobody seems to do nothing or talk about nothing. Or well, thankfully, we're talking about something here. This morning. Yes. Yeah, me and you. I appreciate the time. Hope you have a nice weekend, Louise. Stay in touch. Okay, thank you very much. You're very welcome. Bye bye. Okay. Uh, let's keep going. Uh, let's go to line number three. Say good morning to the PC member of the House of Assembly, elected in and serving the folks at Conception Bay South. He's the Shadow Minister of Transportation and Infrastructure. That's Barry Petten on three. Barry, you're on the air. Uh, good morning, Patty. How are you? Not too bad, I think. How about you? I'm good, thanks. I'm, uh, yeah, I'm just calling in, actually. I think there's some discussion about the release. There's a release I issued yesterday on the infrastructure. Uh, money's been left on the table, uh, federal infrastructure monies, and uh, there was a lot of that to right across the country to all provinces to avail of, and it's, uh, it's good in these times, I suppose, to uh, spur on economic growth and, you know, and, and the much-needed infrastructure uh, needs throughout the country, you know, to every province. And... Uh, I mean, we just recently became aware that uh, uh, the majority of our funding in this province is left unused, it's, uh, and it's uh, it's co- quite astounding, actually, that uh, uh, you know this is happening. We got places like Ontario; they've used 94 percent of this year of this money, and it's uh, which which spurred on, I guess, the, you know, the, the, the my release in general, just to get the word out there. And I was I was at a loss when I found out like two thirds of our funding is not used. Sure. I, Let's give the folks a bit of context. So this is a yeah. 180 billion dollar infrastructure plan called the Re, I think it's Rebuild Canada plan. I think might be the formal tag on it. Yeah, yeah. Five key areas of focus: rural and northern communities, uh, COVID-19, public transit, and green infrastructure. So 
like in Ontario, I think a whopping big amount of that 94% is with the new bit of high-speed rail that the Infrastructure Bank has been involved with and this Rebuild Canada plan. But there is no good argument to leave money on the table because God knows in between rural and northern communities, COVID-19, green infrastructure, public transit, we have distinct needs. Let's talk with, where does, like the thought, and I spoke about this off the top. Where does drinking water and boil orders fall in? Does it actually dovetail in this plan? Would those projects be eligible for some of that money? Yes, they would, Patty, and okay. that was something I was going to, you know, with the National Wastewater Regulation coming to effect. And I, I, list, I mentioned in, the, in my release, actually, with the boil orders, yes, it does. And uh, that in itself is, is astounding, actually. And uh, we met, actually, me and uh, our leader, Dave Brazel, met with the heavy civil there a few weeks back, and this this issue kind of astounded them. They couldn't understand, it's basically, it was their analogy. And it was, these numbers are done up by the Canadian Construction Association, so it means there's an accurate, accurate, you know, it's an accurate numbers. But no one can, the problem is, and me included, I guess no one can understand why the province is not, you know, all over this money to get it out the door and get these, you know, uh, get this get this work going, get this much needed infrastructure in, in communities. Like you're looking at ball, wa- ball water orders, and even the bigger municipalities. Patty, I look at my own district up here in Exception Way South. I'm I'm thinking from what I'm gathering, the wastewater treatment plant that's in, in uh, Cronin's Head. That's uh, that's soon going to require a heavy investment. I mean, this big municipality that's feeding off that. And, uh, I mean, they'd, they'd be more than willing to, you know, partner into this, you know, fund with the province and the federal government to get much-needed money out the door and get get that work done. And there's companies out there that I know I've talked to a lot of construction companies who are finding this year is the worst year, one of the worst years ever. we got roads that are not fit to drive over. I mean, the list goes on. And it comes right back to the initial conversations. Like, I can't, no one can understand why. You know, I guess that's the question you got to ask is why, right? Some of these... Uh price tags and uh, issues that have yet to be broached and it's not about coming wastewater regulations we're already non-compliant like we're just not there there's some larger communities that can partner up like for the building and the maintaining the riverhead waste treatment facility here on the south side in st john's that's one thing but people don't realize just how massive these price tags are there's very few if any communities through their own accord with their own provincial coffers can even consider meeting wastewater regulations so to not try to put money in those municipalities hands is crazy i mean there was the town manager out in dover was threatened by uh law enforcement going to prison so yeah. we know the communities don't have the cash so how we're leaving anything on the table if we're not dealing with wastewater is madness like i just don't know the rationale can't understand it no and i think that pretty well sums up perfectly patty and i think the problem with this wastewater regulation i know back in the years i've been involved in government and in various governments and this issue has come up the number is so astronomical that people and municipalities and individuals even i guess politicians alike have trouble getting their head around how to even how to even broach this. I mean, you look. You mentioned the, you know, Riverhead, and you got the city, and the, you know, major, major, the largest municipalities in the province are feeding into it. But you move off the Avalon, you know, as well, we all know, this this, this is out. This is not even not even attainable. So, to your point, to, just to reiterate again, I mean, with this money left in the pot and left there not being used, and these these municipalities are crying for it, and they need it. Like you say, this is an important issue that we don't talk about enough, and uh, this money's left unused is amazing. I really don't get it. I am going to follow up directly with whether it be the premier or the minister responsible for that portfolio. Well, I guess it's various portfolios it could touch on, but there's just 
doesn't uh, doesn't pass the smell test to me. It, it's not like it's free money; it's our money anyway. But we have distinct needs, and if they dovetail right into this Canada Action Plan or Rebuild Canada Plan, whatever it's called, then let's do it. Let's get what we're due because before long, it's gone by the wayside, and we'll still be talking about all the needs that have gone unsatisfied. Uh, I'll give you the last word, Barry, before we say goodbye. Yeah, and no, I appreciate that, Pat. You know, just one final comment. Like, you know, we hear every day, and you know, you hear requests, and you're, you hear, we all hear, I hear it too. Like, you just, like, it's just road work, for example, and and you obviously have to come back. Is we only got so much money, the budget's only so big, and yada yada. Well, this is this is your answer to a lot of those questions, and these are important questions. Aside from obviously important wastewater and other issues, so it just again it it it, it blows my mind, and I think the minister Minister Lovelace is responsible for a lot of this because a lot of this falls under, under transportation infrastructure. But somebody needs to come out and explain this, and like I say, even if the premier wants to clarify, because this should not be. Appreciate the time. Thanks, Barry. Thanks, Barry. All the best. Bye bye. Bye bye. Barry Petten is the member for Conception Bay South, Shadow Minister of Transportation and Infrastructure, and just like we learned uh, throughout the past few years when we talk about our share provincially so whether it be with the rapid test kits and uh, vaccine doses and the like 1.4 percent of 180 billion dollars is a nice contribution to try to be compliant with even if we're just talking wastewater add into it a couple hundred communities ish that are on board orders some have uh, been on the board orders for decades so got to find out more as to why we're not availing of that particular pot of money. Uh, let's take a break. When we come back, Jane's in the queue. She wants to talk about the bystander effect. There's been some stories surrounding that this week. Don't go away. Welcome back. Uh, let's go to line number one. Jane, you're on the air. Okay. First of all, I don't have Facebook, and I'm not really a news person. So this is what, for me, not anybody else. Okay. What happened in Boyne Park? Okay. The thing is, the young guy was looking for a hog. No one knew that, and what happened happened. And it, whatever comes out of it, it will be dealt with. But what I'm more upset about and more pissed about, to put it bluntly, is that people stood by. Right. Land. Just a couple of things, though, Jane. It, uh, the story's quite clear coming from the lady who was assaulted. Uh, it's not that Buddy was just looking for hugs. He tried to pull off her bikini bottoms. He used the word rape out loud, so she says. Okay. So I it's, it's that, a much yeah. more serious attack than someone going around looking for a hug. But the, your okay. thoughts about the bystander effect, that's a real yes, concern. Yes. Look, the number one story here is that a woman got attacked. Then, of course, yeah. gets complicated with stories about... Uh, his autism and his father speaking up, but the woman got attacked. That's the allegations that have been investigated. But you're right. Someone probably called 911, but nobody stepped in and did anything, which is, you know, there's a couple of schools of thought, Jane, is that, you know, people are told sometimes to don't be the hero. You don't know what you might be getting yourself into. With what happened if the person that you're trying to help, their attacker has a knife or a gun or a syringe or what have you. I, I yeah. get that thought, but I'd like to think that if I was there, I wouldn't have been able to resist going over and hauling body offer. Like, I just think in same my here. mind, I think I would do that. Yeah, I was. that's the same as I look at, that people stood around, and if there was people there, four or five people could have went over. So, you know, like it's not like there was a only one or two there they were by the pool so that is what made me mad but anyway i just wanted to say that basically what happened shouldn't have 
but also the people who didn't help that young girl. That's what I'm kind of yeah look, about, right? And a lot of people, and I guess you could maybe say that about me, is some people talk a big game, right? You know, it's like if yeah. someone comes and invades my home, that's what the stories that get me all the time is. So we'll have a story about a home invasion, yeah. and someone will write me and say, boy, if they ever came into my home, X, Y, and Z. Yeah, but you know what? It's easier to talk a big game than it is to walk yeah, a big game. Yes. So, yeah, I know. So, you know, yeah. it's, it's a tricky conversation to have. I don't know. I know it is. People freeze up. You know, in, in those circumstances, the same thing when we talk about bullying. What the, the victim should do is punch yeah, the bully in the face. It's easy enough yeah. to say that. Most people who say that have never punched anybody in the face in their life. So people freeze. Yeah, the, but I'd like to I think I would have tried to help. My Some people in my family would punch the bully in the face. But anyway, I won't go with that. So that's what I wanted to say. Plus, I agree with you about the churches. The Pope should be paying not the churches. Yeah, and of Sorry, course they they never will, right? They're not going to do it no, because then every every parish across the modern yeah. world would have their hand out yeah. because it's this, yeah. the examples of this abuse has been nonstop. Oh, I know, I know, yeah. And I got one more thing that okay. I want to talk about. I talked about it a few years ago. I, I don't call open line but a lot, but I, once in a while. But I don't have the form in front of me, but I just want to give a little bit of a the Newfoundland Drug Program, you're aware of that, I'm assuming. Sure. The, 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 the people who are on systems get their medications, their drugs free. But there's also low-income people out there that I've been pushing this for 15 years. There's low-income people out there that can avail of it who don't know they can't. When they go to a pharmacy, it's marked on the bottom of the form, and that's why I like to have it in front of me. It says... If people are paying cash, you're supposed to give them a copy of the drug plan. Whether they got insurance, which I have, it doesn't matter. If they're paying cash, if you don't have insurance, you can fill out this form. Leave it up to the the, the drug program to tell you you can't have a percentage. You can get 10% back. You can get 20% back. Plus, there's also an higher limit if you're making more money, but there are people that's paying $5,000 a month for drugs. So you can get a percentage of that. So anybody out there that's paying money for medication and don't think they can get help, please get an application from the pharmacy and send it in. Sure, there's and no downside. Yep. Yep, the- there's no downside. Because if you can get 10% back, it's now 10%. And like I said, I've been pushing this. I did call open line way back on this, and I'm pushing it. But I had to call again because, like, you know, there is people out there that still don't realize they can get help with their medication. I don't know how many people would be left out, but there's five different plans inside the prescription drug program. I can't remember what they're all called. One is 65 plus, one's the access plan. Yeah, that's plan. I wanted to form in front of me, but I don't have it. Yeah, okay, the yeah. foundation plan. I can't remember what they're all called, yeah. but there's five yeah. different plans. Yeah. And you should evaluate whether or not you're eligible for any of these types yeah. of supports. And there's a, like most of these plans that the government offers there's a frequently asked questions on the health uh, health community services uh, website at the government of newfoundland labrador have a look go through it they talk about how you get reimbursed who's eligible the five different plans and all the flu vaccines and glucose strips and all these things so just go have a look and make sure that if you're eligible you you had to have your taxes paid you do had to have your taxes done because that's what they go by so once you got your taxes done for the year right you go ahead and do that form and hopefully there are people out there that will avail of it. And like I said, the pharmacies are supposed to be giving out applications. Smacked on the bottom, they're not doing it. But anyway, just I put it out there. They can ask if they don't have any way to get a copy or whatever, they don't have a printer, whatever the case, 
go to your pharmacy and say, I want a copy. And they have to give you one. And I think that's about it. Um, uh, like I said, I think that's all i got to say right now. There's a few more things, but anyway, I won't take up all your time. Well, you, you, you have another minute if you'd like to say anything else, Jen. Go ahead. What I want to say is, which I didn't, and it's the hot weather, it seems like, is going now. But my dad was in a home team three years ago. He died. He was in Escazone, and then he went to the new home down in Grisville. But we were so hot, like Escazone especially. I mean, I went to Art Morgan and complained and all that but what i did and i did at the new building i took a fan in for his little stand i put the fan on the stand dad didn't need it because he did he loved the heat but if somebody was in cleaning them or washing them or doing something like that they can turn that fan on because it's so warm and and it the weather was so hot like i said i should have called earlier but bring one in for your loved one but also it'll help the staff because they get overcome, too. Absolutely. I appreciate the time this morning, Jane. Okay, thanks. Thanks. All the best. Bye-bye. Yeah, you too. Bye. Yeah, so, I mean, the prescription drug program, I don't know how many people are actually eligible who are not not taking advantage of it, but it's worth having a look at the eligibility requirements for the five different plans, and if you are eligible, then fair ball. Uh, the whole bystander affecting, and again, I don't know who would really step up and do something or why some people would not do something. I do know, and I'll stand by it, a lot of people talk a big game when it comes to physicality and bullying and fighting back and home invaders and the like. I'd like to think I would have tried to help, right? I've been in a few dust-ups enough to know that I have it in me. So I'd like to think I would help. But I can also get why some people are hesitant and don't know really what to do and freeze up. So it's, as usual, it's a little bit more complex uh, piece of human nature and your own reaction. Because until you find yourself in the circumstance, it's hard to know exactly what people will or will not do, what they're able to or unable to do. So I don't know if you would have tried to help. I think I probably would have. But I'm not going to go, you know... Anyway, it's it's a tricky story, but the ultimate part of the story is the woman was assaulted. That's the allegation that's being investigated. The rest of it makes for healthy conversations, and we can have them here on the show. Very quickly before we get to the news. If you're around Frenchman's Cove, a little bit of Rick Mercer delivery here. They got their come home year celebrations that actually start today. There's a meet and greet tonight at the community center. Tomorrow there's a breakfast. There's a craft fair parade on Sunday, a, con- a gospel concert. Then there's breakfasts and bingos and dory races and card games and fireworks and all the rest of it. So if you're in and around Frenchman's Cove, beginning today, running right through August 6th with the family fun day and barbecue in the from 2 to 5 p.m. at the community center, take advantage. Get out and have a bit of fun. Let's go ahead and take a break for the news. Don't go away. Every Saturday is perfect for a night at the cabin. The Cabin Party with Brian O'Connell. Saturday night starting at 7 p.m. on VOCM. Welcome back to the show. Let's go to line number one. Say good morning to the CEO at Food First NL. That's our friend Josh Smee. Good morning, Josh. You're on the air. Good morning, Patty. Nice to see you in the office the other day. Yeah, it's nice to uh, it's nice to be back in studio and see some humans for a little for uh, for once. Because this place is a beehive of activity at normal times, but it's been a bit of a ghost town. So it's nice to see people coming and going back to some semblance of normal. Okay, let's for get sure. into the food helpline. You've unfortunately had to pause the operations. What's happening? 
Yeah. So what we're doing is we're, so for folks who don't know, we operate a service called the Community Food Helpline. Uh, and what that is, is it's kind of a, a food support of last resort. So if people call 211, for example, and they're asking where to find support with food, if they're out of options, you know, if there's nothing near you, if, uh, or if there's not a program that works for you, if you've already kind of tapped out your supports, then um, they patch folks through to the service we operate, the Community Food Helpline. And what the helpline does is connect with people to do things like usually it's um, grocery gift cards, but also meal deliveries, uh, those kinds of things that fill the gaps between uh, between other services. And so what's going on right now is that we have had to stop taking incoming requests on the helpline because there's just so many people waiting for a response that uh, it was already backed up so that we could, we weren't be able to get to people for several weeks, which is which which is not much good. So we, um, what we're doing, the helpline team are still working, but for the next couple of weeks, what they're going to be doing is just digging their way down through that queue of folks who have called or left messages looking for support. Cause we know there's about 400 people right now waiting for a callback. So we're hoping by mid August, we've added some staff now as well, just this week. So we're, we're hoping by mid August, we'll have worked that way through so that people don't have to wait so long when they put in a call and, a, and, a, and ask for support. But that does mean that, if you call the helpline in the next couple of weeks, you'll get a message saying we're not taking any more uh, any more requests because we're just have to spend all our time working through working through that backlog. I mean, you and your organization do incredibly important work in the community, but doesn't that just speak volumes? The demand is so severe that the best intentioned people cannot keep up with the demand. Four hundred people waiting for a call back, and I know you're doing all you can every single day. That really does speak to the sad state of affairs so many people find themselves in. Yeah, and I think that speaks to the fact, you know, that, that services like this, they're important, but they're never more than a Band-Aid, right? Like, we can't solve this problem with with a community food helpline. We can definitely help, and for people in moments of, of, of crisis, this service really matters, right? But at the same time, like, especially now where we're seeing that all these services like this one that we set up because of COVID, now the demand is being driven because of cost of living, right? We know that so many more people are stretched and uh, and have run out of resources for food because of what's happening with the cost of living, and so that's not you know that's not a problem we can even we can solve with this line. You know, you could give me twice as many employees and five times the budget, and we'd still be probably in a pretty tough situation with it. I think it really speaks to the need to think hard about what are we doing on that in the big picture because the only way we're going to ever like we'd like to not have this service. We'd like this service to go away, and the only uh, the only way we're going to get there is if we start pushing on those big things like yeah you know wages income support rates all that stuff and it's it's just getting you know the the needed and the the obviousness of that is so sharp right now because of because of what's happening with cost of living is just so obvious i think we're all feeling that i'm pretty sure we are and you know we kind of lose sight of some of these issues and we make it about uh political theater versus what's really happening on the ground the important stories how it's impacting people because while we'll have the to and fro, the thrust and parity of whose fault inflation is. I mean, Loblaw's profits are up $350 million quarter over quarter. You know, totally. I mean, so we've just got to factor all these things in so that we can have a real understanding of what's happening on the ground. So what do you say to the folks who are going to call and get the message? Because we know you want the help. So what? where else can they turn? Can you point them in another direction? Because there's only so many times you can visit the local food bank and their numbers are exploding as well. So what do we say to these people? 
Yeah, you know, it, that's a really tough question. I'd say to people, do call 211 because the folks at 211, they have a really up-to-date database of all the different food services. So there may be some folks who have called the helpline before and ha- are now calling the helpline directly, but it's a good idea to reach out to 211 because the 211 folks, they might have something on their books that folks haven't tried yet. And so th- I think the best advice is to call them. That service is, you know, 24-7 live answer. They've got the database that, that our staff helped them maintain. So th- if there's something out there for you, um, the 211 folks will be able to find it for sure. Uh, that said, like, I think the, we need to acknowledge that the, the reality out there is just that there there is not nearly enough support uh, to, to fill that gap for everybody. Like one thing we know is, you know, out of all the people who are food insecure, less than one in 10 even ever reach out to a food program for, for support, right? And so, you know, there's just this iceberg of demand there. And I think one of the things that's happening is, you know, more people are reaching out, which is a good thing. More people are feeling less stigmatized to do it. But I'll be honest with you, there are going to be folks who are calling for whom there is there is nowhere to turn. And that's the, that's the reality of it, right? Like, that's the tragedy of this whole thing is that, like, without big picture systemic solutions, that's going to be the case. And, and so, yes, yeah, I'll say, you know, if you're calling the helpline this week, it's, it is possible that there's not going to be anything else out there for you. And, and you know, that breaks my heart to say it. Um, but we want to be realistic and real with people that, you know, this, there, there are really these, you know, there's, there's not that much resources in the system even now. I know we don't have the time to get through the thousand different layers of systemic change, but let's just give the folks, plant a seed of step one or two or whatever for systemic change here because we use those words and it's a big catch-all. When we're talking about complex issues, it's hard to break it down so that people can have bite-sized morsels, poorly chosen words, uh, can have you know manageable issues that they can start to think about next steps. So let's give them step one in systemic change. What does that mean to you, Josh? Yeah, I think right now it means getting more money into people's pockets you know like the, the we know that food insecurity is largely about poverty and people just don't have the money to afford the food that they need so there's a bunch of ways to get at that you know i would say uh some of the obvious ones are looking again at the minimum wage we know lots of people who are living on minimum wage who are relying on food supports and that's going to keep going up as prices go up uh looking at income support so right now if you as a if you your family is relying on income support and you wanted to eat uh, the sort of standard cost of a, of a healthy basket of groceries, you'd be spending more than your entire income support check to do that uh, just to eat every week, right? And so I think, you know, we have an income support rate that keeps people way below the poverty line. That's got to change. Uh, and then in the maybe medium to long term, I think uh, there's some real thinking happening about a basic income in this province. I think if anywhere in Canada can do it, we can. And that would put a more secure safety net under people. But it's really, you know, it's just about making sure that that people have enough money to, to get by with the basics and, and we're not there right now, right? And there's all these more complicated conversations about other systems that can change. There are other ways to do this. You know, if we can lower housing costs or lower other costs for people, they can spend a bit more money on food. But right now, that's that's really what the crunch is about. Yeah, and, you know, well, whether it be means, tests, or what have you, and we also have to assess very clearly that different people find themselves in different life circumstances with very similar 
amounts of money coming in the door. For instance, the hopeful creation of a new Canada Disability Act and fund. I mean, the fact of the matter is folks with disabilities are twice as likely to be poor than people without disabilities. So that's got to be a focus. Then we have to have, you know, whether or not you're a single parent or there's complex issues and you're part of the working poor or there's physical or mental concerns that keeps you from being able to move forward and move up the ranks and earn more money. There's so many different barriers and so many different complexities in society that we've just got to make sure that we we understand all of the different ones, the different groups of people, what they need, how we get them to help. Because you might have the same amount of money coming in the door, but you might not have two hungry children at home. You might be a person with a disability. There's all these things have to be factored in very carefully. 100%. And that's, I think, a good way of thinking about um, why a basic income would make a huge difference but isn't enough, right? We get to a basic income, but there's still going to be that there will be people who need more supports. And so that can't replace all of the other supports that we're providing people. But I think having that security of, of some floor below which you know you're never going to fall would make a huge difference for a lot of people, let people plan. Uh, and I think that's being taken seriously right now. And, and But you're absolutely right. I think one of the things that's, that needs to happen is, you know, lining all of this stuff up and, and making the just the journey through all those different systems a bit simpler, right? Like anyone who's listening who's tried to navigate any of those support networks knows about the red tape and paperwork and delays that happen, right? And, and that's the other piece of this is that uh, right now our system doesn't respond very fast when something goes wrong in, uh, in your life, right? And so what can we do to speed up that response time so that you're not falling into a crisis and ending up calling something like the food helpline. Uh, Josh, always appreciate the time. Uh, keep us in the loop when you're going to be able to start taking more calls and, I guess, create another list of people who are in such desperate need for the basic of all basics, food. Appreciate your time, Josh. Always appreciate this. Thanks, Patty. Take Thanks for getting time. the word out. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That's Josh Means, the CEO of Food First NL. Uh, when you st- step back and think about it. You know, we can rightfully worry about, complain about, question things like state of the roads and wait times and the price of gas and all those are all legitimate concerns but can you imagine when you just stand back and think about it out loud modern day first world canada and millions of canadians are hungry you know add in the basic right of a safe and healthy roof over your head but people are hungry you know, when you say it out loud and really just kind of dismiss some of the other concerns that are floating around, and they're all real, and we could talk about every single one of them on this program, millions of Canadians are hungry. They're starving. They need food banks. They need Josh Mean Food First NL. They, they need the community food sharing hotline. It's just, it's madness. True madness. So all the while, while the political rhetoric and the hyperbole and the shenanigans and the political theater unfortunately dominate the conversation and the political discourse in society you know communism and socialism and capitalism and market pressures and inflation and all the who's to blame for all these things people are hungry and it is not a political stripe issue it's bigger than that it's more important than that People are friggin' hungry in modern first world Canada. Millions. To not deal with that and put aside the orange and the red and the blue and the green is a betrayal of millions of Canadians. It just, just irritates me to no end. Let's take a break. Don't go away. 
And welcome back to the program. Let's go, Lander Force. Good morning to the NDP member of the House of Assembly, elected in, serving the folks of Lab West. That's Jordan Brown. Good morning, Jordan. You're on the air. Good morning, Patty. And, you know, hopefully you said you're, it's a wonderful day your way today, too. Yeah, it's not too bad. It's actually starting to clear up a little bit. It was really gray earlier, but a little bit nicer now. Yeah, oh yeah. So today is the uh, is the running of the 50th running of our regatta, the Laver West uh, regatta. And unfortunately, today it's a raining day, but uh, it's still going ahead. So you know, it's a it's a big day for us. It's 50 years of uh, you know our own uh, our own thing up here. Awesome. Now, I mean, unfortunately, I kind of maybe not paying as much attention to certain things as there's so many massive topics going on. I've been talking about the Royal St. John's Regatta. I don't know Placentia happened and the Harbor Grace is tomorrow. And today is the Lab West 50th running. Do you guys row fixed seat? Nope. We roll uh, rolling seats. Okay. So I rode I rode uh, uh, in the youth category when I was in high school, and I then rode again uh, when I uh, when I came back from college. I haven't rode since uh, the fortieth <laughs> the fortieth anniversary running, uh, but uh, now today is the fiftieth anniversary, and it is a big deal for us because uh, you know it all started in nineteen seventy one. So you know this is uh, a big deal uh, for you know unfortunately, like you said, we didn't run for two years because of COVID, but this is uh, it's a big deal for uh, for the region, and everyone's happy to be back down on by the lakeside. Do you mimic, say, for instance, some of the other regattas? Where it's a garden party as much as rowing races. Oh, oh, I'll get to that. Absolutely, yes. Yeah. So today they uh, they got the beer garden still is open. It's going to be open today. Uh, they actually got a, a, one of the uh, sponsors uh, is actually down there now, uh, putting up some scaffolding to put a big tarp over the beer garden, uh, so they can, so we can still have concessions and we can still have uh, have our garden party. That sounds great. I mean, these are some of those things on the social and sporting calendar that people in the region really look forward to. I know the Royal St. John's Brigada is on my list for one of those things I, I really do kind of look forward to. It. I wish there was a bit more focus on the rowing and the races than there is on the beer garden and the crown and anchor. But, hey, whatever floats your boat, right? Oh, and that's the thing. It's, it's a community uh, event. So, like I said, unfortunately, so the weather's not 100% cooperating today, um, especially on the, you know, the 50th running. But, you know, at the same time, it, it, you know, we're still – pushing ahead and i think you know it's uh, it's important to point out that you know we've been we've been at this for 50 years here and and it's still a continued like lo, you know love traditional blabber west and it's also our uh, it's our civic holiday today too so uh, the, the community is closed so everyone can attend the uh, the regatta terrific the way it should be uh what's the participation rate like in the rowing uh, this year, unfortunately, hasn't been uh, one of the top years. Um, I know when I rode in the uh, in the 40th, um, you know, we there was a wait list. So if you want to actually row, uh, you can go as an alternate or something like that. So it either, you know, it has its peaks and valleys. But unfortunately, this year with COVID and, you know, everything kind of slowly coming back, it, it hasn't had a full participation. So there's only 10 teams this year, unfortunately. Well, I mean, we can only hope to grow the numbers. I think it's 70 crews participating in this go-around at the Royal St. John's. You know, they've made some interesting changes here. With now, women can row competitively on the long course. Men can row the shorter course, which I think will bring more men's crews in because it is a real big ask to, to row the long course as someone who has suffered through the long course, even though I really enjoyed it. So it's, you know, it'd be great if there was even more things like the, the traditional old sporting organizations. You know, the guards and the Felians and stuff that would, you know, create some of these rivalries, take it from the pitch and put it on the pond. Those things would be fun as well. Uh, anything else you want to tell us about uh, today's Lab West 50th running of their regretta? I, I, you know, and, 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 and as a community whole, Lab West, you know, it's a, it's a great opportunity to get out and, you know, have a store around the lake, uh, you know, bring a jacket. But at the same time, you know, it, it's, uh, it's a tradition that, you know, that uh, lives still pretty strong in the region and you know it's something that uh, Lava West should uh, uh, show uh, you know be appreciative and proud of because uh, you know it, it's it's not easy to row I've done it three times in my past and uh, it's not easy but you know what after you uh, after you come back to dockside you feel great 
absolutely i really enjoyed it and i'm not done with it yet as i've mentioned many times we're absolutely going to uh, put a crew together that features my what does a feature that includes myself and my two boys i really want to do yeah. that and we'll i get did roll with my dad uh, actually patty uh, that my last time i did roll i did roll with my dad fabulous that was actually that was a, it was a fabulous thing uh, uh we were both really t- <laughs> tired afterwards but I, I did do it and it was uh, it was a good uh, good experience for me i appreciate this this morning good luck to all involved on the pond and on the pond side with the concessions and the bear tent too bad it's raining but of course we're not going to melt so hopefully folks have a good time yeah, thank you so much Patty. take care bye-bye you too. bye-bye uh, ndp mha lab west jordan brown let's roll line number one Brittany, you're on the air hi how's it going grand to you Good. So I'm the executive director at the Open Door Community Youth Network in Gander. Um, And in regards to uh, food insecurity in Newfoundland and stuff, something that we can just all do at the ground level is really supporting a lot of our youth centers and just donating things like pancake mix and bread and jam. Um, I'm currently seeing about 20 to 30 youth a night, um, and really they're coming in for food. Um, A huge thing that we're doing is just providing them with meals. Um, They're very simple meals, but it's also teaching them the life skill of how to make a grilled cheese, Um, But at the end of the day, I know that they're not going home hungry. And it's just something I think a lot of people don't realize is so important, especially during the summer when there's no school programs for um, like breakfast and lunch programs. So I just wanted to put some uh, some information out there for people that if that's what they're looking to do, it's, you know, 15 bucks for a bag of pancake mix really does go a long way in a small community. A hundred percent. So, I mean, offering these types of supports and services, you know, targeted for youth in this case, terrific stuff. Do you offer anything else in the way of programs? programming or other services inside what's the official name of your group i'm sorry yeah so it's the open door community youth network so there's see their cyns is kind of what our big umbrella name is um and they're all across the province uh we're currently running from 10 a.m to 8 p.m we do drop-ins uh we have basketball programs everything is always free that's the way we roll um we go swimming we go swimming once a week um we post everything on facebook and instagram so if you look up cyn in, in gander it pops up um and i know a lot of these like smaller communities uh we are struggling but if you can offer something so simple you know like i said a grilled cheese and somewhere to drop in a safe place somewhere to cool off um you know activities like swimming and basketball um and music programs if we have guitars and stuff like it's just really a really cool opportunity for kids just come somewhere to be a kid um and i feel like that we're missing that a bit (laughs) it's uh it's awesome that you're doing these types of things uh how about how many people are you serving and has the have those numbers grown over the last couple years like every other supports uh, uh organization in the province yeah, so when I first started, uh, the organization looked a little bit different here in Gander. Um, so I am seeing about a 300% increase in youth every week um, and new, like literally new youth every single week, um, especially when they find out there is fun things to do. You know, like we have movie nights. Um, we have a weightlifting club. We do kickboxing in the fall and in the winter. And again, everything is always free. Um, and it's just like really removing food insecurities and any other type of barrier uh, where kids would have to pay for something. I just think they need the opportunity to to experience something and to learn something new um and yeah it's just it's super important but like i said with our community it's so great when people do offer up little things like food um it goes a really long way i really appreciate the time keep up the good work Brittany. so once again where are you located can they give you a call get it set up what do you want people to do yeah come on in we're on top of aerials kind of near co-op and gander here 66 elizabeth um and we're always our doors are always open so you can come in and say hi <laughs> great stuff thanks for making time for the show Brittany. Take care. Bye-bye. You too. Bye-bye. All right. Uh, time for the news. How are we doing on the phone, Dave? When we come back, let's wrap it up by speaking with you. Don't go away. 
nutrition, exercise, keeping the cold at bay. Whatever keeps you feeling great, the Wellness and Healthy Lifestyle Show on your VOCM. Welcome back to the program. Saturday, July 30th is the United Nations World Day Against Trafficking in Persons, Migrants, and Immigrants. Join us on line number one, who is the project lead at the Association for New Canadians, I believe. And her name is Geraldine Ancroud. One second, wrong button. Good morning, Geraldine. You're on the air. Hello, David. Good, mor- good morning. It's still in the morning. It's still in the morning here. Yes, David is the fellow you spoke with now. You're live on the air with me. My name is Patty. Welcome to the show. Hi, Patty. Hello, Patty. Welcome. So, you know, yeah. the, the issue with trafficking is obviously very real, but people don't see it. Consequently, they don't think about it. They don't act on it. What do you want people to know about World Day for, against trafficking in persons? Thank you so much. Um, so in the very first place, I think the reason people don't think trafficking is real is because um, most of the time when we see trafficking or when, when we see the word trafficking, we're thinking of smuggling, where we're thinking of um, transnational um, transnational transportation. But trafficking in persons is actually, like, can actually be just even harboring someone for your own gains, recruiting someone for your own gains, or um, exploiting someone even in an enclosed space right in a town or a city. So trafficking is happening, and it's even happening right here in Canada and in Newfoundland. So I just want people to know that there's a difference, and smuggling is actually going from one geographical location to another, but trafficking can be happening right here and is happening right here. And we and we want people to know that we, we need to make this province a safe place for immigrants, especially as we're making immigration a big thing now. We need to make the space safe and so people need to be aware of this thing going on and we need to train people in culturally competent ways to be able to accommodate um, migrants and immigrants and make it a safe province for them so yeah so uh, you say and a part of the news release is a newcomer focused survivor-led culturally competent lens what does that mean and why is that important so um newcomers are really uh in the highest risk for human trafficking, immigrants, temporary foreign workers, and women and girls especially are, are up there like when it comes to the risks of human trafficking. This is why we, 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 we want to ensure that we put a system in place that's able to um, identify when something like that is going on and to make the, and, and to make the, the space safe for newcomer women especially. How are we going to do this? We want to ensure that it's not just maybe some people sitting around around, like a round table and putting solutions in place. We want to make sure that it is the solutions or, or the systems are put in place by the people who are affected themselves. So because of this, we have an advisory council made up of newcomer women made up of people from the justice system um made up of people who have been impacted by these issues pre-migration and even post-migration so that it's it's a program by the people for the people that's what we we mean by newcomer focus and and, and in a culturally competent way most people think about trafficking insofar as sex work goes sex slaves is that misguided or is that an important focus so um, usually, um, so trafficking is trafficking is the um, action that goes on in order to bring about exploitation. So 
trafficking, as I said, recruiting, harboring, and all that. And it's usually for labor exploitation or sex exploitation. So usually the end result is sex exploitation or labor exploitation. So people are not far from the truth when they they think of trafficking in like in that sense. It usually goes hand in hand. And again, usually women and girls and migrants and immigrants, women and girls are in the highest risk for sex exploitation, which comes through trafficking. Geraldine, you know, national law enforcement agencies, provincial authorities, they would have departments that understand and they deal with this. What do you want people, individual citizens to know about what to be aware of, what science to look out for, and what we can do as normal everyday citizens? Thank you so much. So um, um, this is quite broad because it's going to be different for um, different places. For example, when it comes to the hospitals, there are certain things they'll have to look out for that maybe a labor organization cannot look out for. So, for example, um, we can't tell people maybe in the corporate space maybe to look out on look out for injuries in certain parts on certain parts of the bodies. But generally, like generally, I'll like I'll give a few pointers. Like when you see um, when there's someone who um, has been around for a while, but even like but does not even know their address, like where like where they're staying. Like we've had situations here like that, or someone who is always scared to speak or always. Um, always has a guide by her, by her side and is limited in the things she says, as he or she says, usually a she, when the person is with them. Um, people who, like one great marker is when people do not have their own passport. Like you're asking them questions and you find out that, oh, my passport is with someone or someone is holding my passport or something like these. Like these are some of the markers. People who are fearful, people who, who are like full of controlled. Like these are some of the main signs. Of course, as I said, when it comes to the different organizations, and, 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 and this is part of our of our project to to organize training programs for different sectors of the like of the society, so maybe the health sector, the labor sector, and all that. Of course, there are nuances when it comes to those ones, but there are general ones like these ones that I've mentioned that you should look out for, especially when it comes to immigrants and migrants. And of course, the fact that um, most people like cannot speak English as much as um, the average Canadian would, that's also one big factor that makes us makes migrants and immigrants women vulnerable. So like all like all these are things we should look out for. Really appreciate you making time and keep up the good work, Geraldine. Anything else in the past a final message before we say goodbye? Yes, yeah, so um July thirtieth, Saturday is um World Day Against Trafficking in Persons. And this is something by the UN Office for um, Drugs and Crimes. And tomorrow, um, tomorrow is, um, tomorrow's theme, or the theme for this year is the use and abuse of technology. And I mean, this came up, especially during the COVID times, traffickers found smart ways of using technology to 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 do their misdeeds and that is the same way we're also um we're also kind of fighting for law enforcement to also use the same technology to try to, to try and catch them in their ways so on this day um we we have a peer leadership group in the project hello yes ma'am go right ahead sorry we, we have a peer leadership group that um painted on a door and put it in the Mount Botanical Garden just to create awareness. Anyone can go there, see the door, and then you you know what these women go through. We're going there to commemorate it today, like to commemorate the day today um, at the Mount Gardens with the women. So I just want people to know that this thing exists even here in our province. We should be each other's keepers and we should come together to try and eradicate it and make the, make the province a safe space for migrants and immigrant women. Thanks for this this morning, Geraldine. Appreciate it.
Yeah, thank you so much. Take good care. Bye-bye. Okay. That's Geraldine Ancrush. She's uh, the project leader of the World Days Against Trafficking and Persons on behalf of the Association of New Canadians. Will I take Mike before the break? No? Okay. We're on Twitter. We're VOCM Open Line. You know what to do. Our email address is openlineofvocm.com. Let's go ahead and take our final break of the morning and the week. When we come back, Mike wants to talk about the Community Food Helpline. And then a special guest in studio, Steve Power with the Breakaway Foundation. Annually, we have Steve in to do a draw. We'll talk about the prize of what the Breakaway Foundation does. Regardless of your financial situation, in partnership with Hockey NL, Breakaway Foundation is helping young people who dream of playing minor hockey getting out on the ice. Don't Away. Welcome back to the show. Let's go. Line number three. Mike, you're on the air. Hey, Patty. Good morning. Morning. Uh, Patty, first of all, uh, uh, thanks very much to BOCM and to this open line program for giving a platform uh, for so many people, you know, for free speech. One of your callers earlier uh, seemed to imply that they didn't have free speech, but they certainly do. Absolutely. And uh, <laughs> yeah, this is, this is a great platform. I, I mean, I'm a product of the 50s, 60s, 70s. It sort of dates me a bit. Uh, but uh, back in those days, uh, uh, while, they, you know, there were Open Line and Carl Sterrett and Ron Pumphrey and, you know, Pewter and Bill Rowe and all these, this has always been there. So it's a it's a great service, and uh, although we were able to say it was uh, the Tory Telegram or the the Liberal News and stuff like that, uh, I don't think that VOCM could ever have been labeled like that on this program. And uh, it's, it's really appreciative to have you there. What? Appreciate the time. Appreciate the comments, Mike. What else on your mind yeah. this morning? Uh, well, I know you have another caller going to be co- uh, touching base shortly. No um, but the uh, the one that was uh, what sparked my call, and uh, I'm recovering from a booster shot, so forget about my little bit addled here, um, uh, was uh, Mr. Smee, Josh Smee from Food First. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Patty, it, 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 there's a sense of frustration, you know, of powerlessness in people like Mr. Smee, and there are others as well, many of them, um, who are trying to do good and help people, but they just seem can't keep up. They can't catch up. There's so much to do. You know, there's, there doesn't seem to be an answer to it. Just so people know what we're talking about, Mike. So Josh is the CEO at Food First NL. They've had to pause the community food helpline. They've got a backlog of 400 people that are still waiting for a call back just to know that all of the well-intentioned, good-hearted people and all the mandates that they have at uh, Food First NL, they can't even keep up, keep up with the demand. It's a real sad state of affairs and josh and his team they do all they possibly can but just imagine have to pause it so they can keep up with the ever-growing demand it's really extraordinary it seems like you spin wheels a lot I, you know like you had a caller earlier her name was nancy she spoke about the road to Bergio. yeah and i mean that's been on the go for decades yet people seem to be powerless they can't seem to do anything they can't get seem to get it resolved i guess it's the same thing as of listening to mr Smee and he's really good remarks and and thanks to his the group he's involved with for all the help they do uh but god that's got to be hard they had to pause to help them he gave out a number, Patty, 211. Do you know what that is, what that what that number is? 211 is a number that not enough people know about or use. It's a real catch-all. It's multilingual. It's 24 hours a day. It's uh, it's almost anything under the sun. You're looking for somewhere to turn for emergency food services. You're looking for some supports for dental care. You're looking for some housing questions. It really does a lot of stuff. They've got an extraordinarily well-trained staff, and you can ask 211 just about anything in just about any language. It's great stuff. Well, Patty, thanks very much uh, for all that you do and for what the station does. Enjoy your weekend, and I'm going to let you take that call. Listen to your the one following me there. Appreciate the time, okay. Mike. All the best. Bye now. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. Yeah, 211, you know, it, 
doesn't replace this show, but it helps. And they really do a lot of stuff at 2-on-1. And it, it is 24 hours a day, right, Dave? Did I? That's accurate? Yeah, and it is multilingual, too, so which is also extremely important. Okay, probably the final bit of activity for the morning. Join us live in the studio. Like I said to Josh Schmee earlier, nice to see some people coming and going, like has been the state uh, here at VOCM for all these years. A little bit of a slowdown, obviously, in the last few years. Steve Power from the Breakaway Foundation, live in the studio. Good to see you, Steve. Great to be here, Patty. Thanks for having us. Happy to do it. This is an annual event, and the Breakaway Foundation, for folks who don't know, they partner up with Hockey NL. And so regardless of your financial situation, if you want to be involved in ice hockey, so to foster and to promote healthy young hockey players, get you out on the ice to enjoy the great game, the Breakaway Foundation has been doing great work for years to make sure that young people dream of playing hockey can satisfy the dream and get out on the ice. So congratulations before we get going. That is exactly what we do, Patty, and I, I can't say it any better myself. Yeah, it, you do great work, and of course, you don't just snap fingers and all of a sudden everything comes together. It's golf tournaments and tireless work by the board of directors, and today we're going to draw some prizes here for the summer ticket sweep, but give the folks some idea of what you've achieved and how you go about it over the course of the year. So, Patty, you're right. It is a volunteer board of directors. Uh, we meet pretty much every month. Um, we've got representation all over the province. We're actually looking for some more representation, especially in the western region. It'd be great if we can get someone else involved there. Um, we fund kids to play minor hockey everywhere, from St. John's to Goose Bay to Lab City to Cornerbrook to Portabasque, all points of the island. Every minor hockey association across our, our province is involved in some way, shape, or form. And everybody's been touched. Everybody needs some help sometimes. And a lot of people are afraid to ask. And I get that. Uh, we try to make the process pretty easy. It's, it's an online application process. We have a board that looks at the applications. We don't say no to a whole lot. Like, I mean, our, our goal here is we try to raise a lot of money to give it to these kids to play hockey. We're not in the business saying no. Uh, we don't care if a kid is a five-year-old putting the skates on for the first time or if he's a 18-year-old who happens to be one of the top players in the province, just might need a little hand. Uh, that's what we're all about, and that's what we'll be continuing to do, and that's why we try to raise this money. Yeah, and I mean, most modern hockey associations will do the same thing. You know, we do not want to hear stories about a young child who mom or dad or the kid themselves doesn't pressure mom or dad to register them because they know that they're struggling financially. And what's also important here is that you don't go out on the ice and all of a sudden everyone on the team says, that's a breakaway kid. It's not that at all. You're like everybody else, regardless of where you got the bag of equipment or help with registration, you're just one of the minor hockey players. You don't get labeled as the breakaway kid. You didn't have a free ride, none of this. It's easy online, and there's no stigma. It's we're just trying to get young people who want to play on the ice. And that is the bottom line. That, there's really nothing to it. It's simple as that. Um, it's really unique, though, that we are province-wide, yep. and we have people involved all over the province, and it's... It's it's a great thing. We're there to help people play, but it's sort of heartbreaking at times, too, when sure. you see how many people need help. We've seen the numbers of people requesting help grow exponentially. I don't need to tell you and your listeners about that in open line. Everybody goes to the supermarket and the gas station. Um, some people might say, geez, minor hockey, how important is that? I tell you what, to a young kid, 
it's really important it's probably their life it's being involved it's being part of the group it's being healthy and active and you know you're playing for the name on the front of the sweater not the back of the sweater all these life lessons that you can learn through minor sports and of course we Stephen, and i have the soft spot for hockey yeah absolutely you don't need to tell us about that stuff i wouldn't be where i am today without a uh, playing minor hockey for sure and just before we get to draw on the prizes uh steve was the longtime technical director at the avalon celtics minor hockey association so for me and for every other player and parent and coach and manager and members of boards of directors that you've helped over the last three decades we can't thank you enough, Steve. So thank you very much. Thank you. I, um, thank you very much. Good on. Good on you. Let's draw some prizes here. What am I soaking about here this morning? Yeah. All right, there's five great prizes. Top of the heap, trip to the World Juniors out in Calgary. So that's about a $4,500 value on that prize. Yeah, so that's tickets for all the middle round games. Wow. Uh, the second prize, ticket and jerseys for the World Juniors. That's two tickets to the medal round games at this summer's World Junior Hockey Championships. Autographed Dawson Mercer and Alex and the Hook Team Canada jerseys, valued around $3,000. There's a golf NL package with uh, rounds out at Glen Denning, the Willows, Ballyhaley, up on the hill, Terra Nova, and at Grand Meadows, another fun place to play. Night at the Growlers, uh, hockey in a suite, beauty. And then there's a Molson's prize pack like you would. All right, you want to draw five or one first? Five Let's draw the first one, the big one one first the big one this is a trip to the world juniors so it's two tickets to all the medal round games at this summer's world junior hockey championships in calgary return airfare for two i've got a bag here in front of me that's full of tickets and i'm doing this on the blind it's on the up and up you can bet your bottom dollar congratulations to james doyle He's the winner of prize number one, a trip to World Juniors. He'll be thrilled. Debbie was the seller. Congratulations to James Doyle, Steve Power, and his team will be in touch with you. All right, let's keep rolling here. Prize number two, tickets and jerseys to the World Juniors upcoming. That's two tickets to the medal round games at the Summer World Juniors, and it includes the autographed Dawson Mercer and Alex Nook Team Canada jerseys. And the big winner is Corey Jones. Corey Jones, you're going to the hockey. You're going to see the Canadians hopefully win a world title. All right, let's keep going. Third prize, golf and L package. Four rounds at all the aforementioned golf courses. Wendy Penny, Wendy Penny out in Carboneer, you're hitting the links. Four rounds at all those great tracks. Good stuff. Let's keep rolling here. Uh, the, the, the fourth prize, night down at the Growlers Hockey in the suite, no less. And the winner, Ra Regan O'Reilly, up the shore, Willis Bay, plays in the Minor, the Minor Rock Association, does Southern Shore, no doubt. He's one of the breakers. Congratulations to O'Reilly. And the final prize is the Molson Prize Pack, valued at 300 bucks, 10 dozen Molson beer. And the winner of the Suds is Natasha Pedal. Natasha Pedal, 10 dozen Molson beer coming your way. Uh, congratulations to all the winners, and thank you very much to everyone who bought a Breakaway Foundation summer ticket sweep ticket this go-round. There's only 2,000 sold. Keep your eyes peeled for opportunities to get involved, especially if you're out in the western region of the island. If you'd like to be a volunteer member of their board of directors at the Breakaway Foundation, they want to hear from you. Congratulations to all the winners. Keep up the good work, Steve. Good to see you. Thanks, Perry, and thanks for your support. Happy to do it. All right, we're out of time for the day and the week, but we will indeed pick up this conversation what is what do you want me for something dave no we will indeed pick up this conversation again on uh, monday morning yeah monday morning right here on vocm and big land fm's open line on behalf of the producer david williams i'm your host patty daly have yourself a safe fun happy weekend talk monday bye-bye